We got a big interview, a team folding, and some new names. You're going to want to hear this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We're back again, episode number 135 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. You're going to hear from our guest, Ryan, from ALPB Roundup in a little bit, but we got some news to go through before we get to that. And trust me, once we get there, uh, it is a fantastic interview, and it is extremely long. As you probably could have could have guessed, I, I think we both knew coming in that it's going to be uh, one, of the, one of the more lengthy interviews, for sure. And I guess... Well, I would say it's more or less of an interview and more of just a discussion about the Atlantic League. So I had a fun time. It was great. I mean, Ryan is awesome. He is incredibly knowledgeable. So uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun uh, to break down the Atlantic League that we haven't covered a ton so far, but I, I'd like to think we made that all back with this episode. Oh, yeah. No, we definitely uh, made up for some lost time with that. And it is just a, a nice little back and forth. And... While most of the time, you know, we're talking about the actual teams and where they're at and what they look like going into the postseason, we do take a couple of detours in there and and we have some fun with it too. So it's definitely a good interview. You're going to enjoy listening to that. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit more about the Staten Island team, which we didn't really get a chance to talk about during the interview all too much, but they released some information. And of course, we'll get to the, the more centerpiece news for those in the know uh, after we uh, talk about Staten Island. But I want to get through that first, so that way uh, we can spend a decent amount of time on the other bit. So Staten Island released their finalists for their names. Uh, that would be Dragon Slayers, Fairy Hawks, and Harbor Heroes. Uh, we kind of went through these names already, so there's not too much left to talk about with these. I'd say Fairy Hawks, out of the three that remains, is probably yeah. the best of the three. I, I would agree. I think that I've, I've been on the Fairy Hawks train from from the beginning, ever since they announced. Uh, like I guess the semifinalists are like the list of eight to ten. Uh, definitely, I, I like the Fairy Hawks uh, the best. Uh, not a huge fan of Harbor Heroes. That kind of just sounds like weird. I don't know. It doesn't sound like a baseball team. Yeah. And Dra- Dragon Slayers. I mean, I don't love it. However, uh, I do. That would definitely be the name if you're just trying to make an insane logo and sell merchandise, which we have seen uh, in independent league baseball and minor league baseball quite uh, quite often. So I wouldn't be too surprised if dragon slayers ends up uh being the winner but fairy hawks is definitely my favorite yeah i'd agree with that for me harbor heroes just kind of sounds like some sort of charity like it just doesn't sound like a uh, like a baseball team to be quite honest dragon slayers like i understand it's the point behind that is supposed to relate back to saint george and like the myth of saint george or like how he would slay dragons and whatnot, but that's not really where the name came from, at least my understanding when it comes to Staten Island. Like the St. George that is relative to Staten Island came more from like a development company. I believe that's what I had read. And so it does not as fun. Yeah, it's not quite the same. So Fairy Hawk seems to be the most relevant. Plus it sounds the most like a baseball team. I suppose I could live with Dragon Slayers, but just for me, Fairy Hawk seems to be the runaway uh, best choice here. 
I agree with you all. I've been on that train since the beginning. And I, while, yeah, it may be a little generic, it also, it just fits, I think, the best. And yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm at with it. We'll know the... It's a, it's a good fit. Yeah, it, we'll know the, the answer soon enough as to what wins. But yeah, as of right now, that's kind of where we sit on Staten Island, so... Yeah. yeah. Like I said, not much about that, but there really isn't much to that. So with that said, we will move on to the kind of big piece of news and the last piece of news before we get into the interview this week, which is the Southern Illinois miners kind of dropped a bombshell on us yesterday afternoon and their, their ownership group announced that they are retiring from Frontier League Baseball. So Naturally, we all were kind of confused as to the wording of that. Like, what does it mean for an owner to just straight up retire? That normally doesn't happen. Normally, either you sell the team or you pass the team on to somebody else. You just don't up and retire. But what that means is not just ownership's retiring, but the team itself is retiring. So the Southern Illinois Miners are no longer in the Frontier League. They're no longer in any league. And uh, they have played their final game. Uh, in the in existence, so uh, yeah, Jane and John Simmons—they were the longtime owners of the miners, and they just decided that after about 14 years, it was time to call it quits. I do wonder if this is pandemic-related on one front, just because I mean I, I gotta imagine it took a financial beating the last couple of years in regards to the team, and so uh, that's kind of where they're at. I also wonder, like, what's going to happen with uh, with Mike Pinto and all the other guys surrounding that team. Obviously, like, a guy like Pinto, I think, would make a lot of sense to a new team like, I don't know, let's say Staten Island. That would be a really nice manager to start with, a great way to develop a culture in that room and be a steady guiding hand through the process, certainly. But, um, yeah, it's a sad situation in the Frontier League for certain. Yeah, I think that it was certainly a bombshell, not uh, one that I think anybody saw coming uh, at, at all. I mean, Southern Illinois, it's certainly a good team. A lot of those players, and certainly Pinto as well, I don't think we'll have an issue find, finding a uh, finding a job elsewhere uh, in it w- with another team. But that I've never heard of, and there's got to be something more to this, that obviously wasn't included in the press release and that we just don't really know because I've never seen a case where owners retire from ownership and people who would say, yeah, I don't really want to own this team anymore. I want to spend more time with our our grandchildren, which is what they said in the press release. Fine. No no one's going to argue that. But, I mean, just saying... I, I maybe they did attempt to sell and they just didn't say that. I don't know. There's got to be something more here that they're leaving out because it doesn't make any sense that the owners were just like, well, we'd like to spend more time with our children and grandchildren. Fine, no problem with that. Uh, but so we're going to retire from Frontier League ownership and the team's just going to die. I, we will not be answering questions and we will now leave. It's a very, it looks weird. Uh, and there's got to be stuff like behind the scenes. Uh, there's got to be more reasons behind the curtain that this happened that we just don't know at the moment. Now, that is, I think that certainly could come out. But uh, right now, there are a lot of questions that is not that have not been answered by this press release or 
whatever they wanted to call this, that simply they're just retiring from Frontier League ownership and the team's just retiring, which means they're folding. It, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, like there just seems to be a lot of missing pieces here. Like I can understand wanting to retire. I get that. But again, sure. it just seems like there's no... Like you said, well, there's no real effort to sell the team. Now, that could have happened behind the scenes and just didn't take root. But at the same time, it just, I have a hard time believing that no one was interested in, in buying that team. I have a hard time buying that this was the only possible outcome. So it, it, it still leaves a giant hole in the Frontier League because obviously now you we, we were finally going to get back to like the full 14 team slate and now we're stuck at 13 so we need to find another yeah. team to go in that slot and if we're being honest it's kind of short notice if you want to get a whole market up and running unless they already have a ballpark and if they already have a ballpark even still you got to find an ownership group you got to find a sports staff you got to find upper management you got to find everything fairly quickly to have it all come together for you and I mean, like, obviously, like with Stan Island's case, they're supposed to come in, they're supposed to play, but they, and they don't have a lot of, you know, staff at the moment, but at least they already got the ball moving, they're working on things behind the scenes. Here, you're just starting straight from scratch, and any ballpark you're going to pick that's pretty vacant right now probably hasn't seen action in over a year. So it's going to take time to get that up to speed. So I don't really know where they're going to go with this. The one luxury they do have, I guess, is you could put Washington back out west. And that means you can go to any market you want. If you find something out east, you could just stick them in the spot Washington would have occupied. If you find something out west, then just put them in the spot that Southern Illinois would have had. And so that is a, a bit of an easier solution here. And I do wonder if there's any shot at all of another team going into that ballpark of Marion because it's still a very, very nice ballpark and I still think it is useful as that. But uh, they said in the press release that more information is going to come out in the coming months about that. So it kind of implies to me that there's not going to be another team going in there, at least not for some duration of time, which again is unfortunate, but I don't I don't see what, uh, what else they could really happen uh, as of right now yeah it, it is you mentioned that it's incredibly short notice for the frontier league and, and it is because not no one was expecting this i mean maybe the frontier league knew behind the scenes i don't know but at this point to be at an odd number of teams right now uh is a really tough spot and, and you mentioned the divisions i think that problem is probably secondary because you can't really be picky with markets at this point. And if, if, a, if a market doesn't have a stadium, uh, that's definitely not an option yeah. at this point. Uh, you're, you're looking only at options with, stadi- with current stadiums, which even, even in the case of a, a market like Staten Island was not as easy because they, they needed to renovate a lot of things. Yeah. So I, I think that it, it's, it's a really tough situation for the Frontier League. Uh, I, I wouldn't worry so much about the divisions. You mentioned that that's pretty easy to solve, I think. Uh, but it is to to drop this bombshell in early October. I mean, that's with, with seemingly no notice whatsoever. And uh, it, it puts the Frontier League in a really tough spot 
when we thought that the, that the league was in prime position uh, it, with a perfectly sized league um, and and it had everything working for it. Well, now they have a big problem on their hands uh, with with Ottawa coming in next year. Uh, it's 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 a tough situation, and uh, and we'll have to see how they handle it. Uh, but it is it is incredibly short notice. Yeah, and again, like you just don't want to throw a team in there and then risk them failing in a year or two. And then that's yeah. that's no real solution. That's a stopgap. And I mean, maybe that's what you need right now. But it's it just really puts everything in a very tough spot. Especially because you're not going to find an ownership group that was as good as what Southern Illinois had. Because, I mean, for 14 years, it was very good. It ran well. So, if it's going to, you're not going to find something like that, especially on short notice. Yeah, I I do worry about them kind of just throwing something into that ballpark. uh, And it's kind of setting them up for failure. Yeah, because that's going to happen just about anywhere at this point. Because, like I said, there really is... There's no obvious one. Like, at least if Ottawa wasn't there, then you could go, oh, okay, well, they'll just pick Ottawa. There's enough groundwork laid where that will work out. Like, where are they going to go? They're going to go back up to Maine? They're going to go to Atlantic City? Like, those are not great options, admittedly. They can work, certainly, but they're not the best of options. So I just, I just don't really know what the plan is right now and it's not really easy to see what the plan is either which makes it just that much more difficult i think and it also just really just sucks especially for fans in that area as well because i mean you grew accustomed to that team they were a winning team on off the field and just in general it sucks to lose a team and it's not even like when you lose a team to affiliated ball and it's like, okay, it's just going to be different now. It's, you just lose it outright. And, like, yeah, the stadium's still there. And, yeah, there's hope that maybe you could get a ball club again. But it just, it isn't the same when it comes down to it. And it's, overall, it's just a shame that, the, that this happened. But, I mean, there's not much that could really be done in this situation. Yeah, it's it's there. There really isn't a lot you can do. Um, and again, like the wording of retiring from f- baseball ownership and the, the team just going with it. I've never heard it worded like that. Yeah. It's definitely weird. It is interesting wording. That that much is for certain. But um, yeah, I think we've kind of said all we're gonna say on this topic for now. Obviously, we'll uh, we'll stay up to date as uh, new things come out. On that note, we still do have an interview we need to get to. And seeing as it's extremely long before, because I've yet to edit it as of the time we're recording this, it's about an hour and 45 minutes long. So I think we are we're at best uh, served just kind of jumping right into that interview right now. Uh, like I said, it's, it's very good. It's a fun interview of back and forth and form of, you know, the, the usual jazz, but especially on this case here, we really enjoyed uh, having Ryan on. He's a really fun guy to talk to. So uh, you have anything you want to say about the interview, Will, before we jump into it? Uh, it is uh, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. So uh, we'll definitely let the interview do the talking, but it was, it, it was a lot of fun for sure. Oh, absolutely. So on that note, 
I suppose we'll just jump right into the interview now. Uh, this is our interview with Ryan, the guy behind AOPB Roundup. We're back again. We have another interview. The first one since I think May. We are back. We have another interview. We've been slacking on the Atlantic League, so we called in a guy that we know knows a lot about the Atlantic League and also has a tremendous personality and one of the better indie ball Twitters out there. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Ryan from AOPB Roundup. How are you doing? Oh, William, Nicholas, I'm excited to be here. I'm thrilled. You guys, you know, you might have been slacking about the Atlantic League, but I'm glad you knew to call someone who knows something about the Atlantic League and slacking, so... <laughs> You really came to the right place, in my opinion. Hey, it's kind of like with Ghostbusters. When you see a ghost, you call Ghostbusters. In this case, we're calling you. Yeah, and just like that, I'll probably leave far more of a mess behind me than really was called for. Oh, so you'll fit right in. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. So, I guess with that, we could just kind of dive headfirst into the South Division, because that seems to be the easier one to make sense of at the moment. Seeing as the uh, the North is still very much in flux and teams that we thought were, you know, pretty well out of it are now all of a sudden very likely to be in it. And oh, yeah. uh, in the South Division, I guess we could kind of start with uh, the former the team formerly known as the West Virginia Power and currently known as the Charleston Atlanta Falcon Dirty Birds. And from there. They've apparently had a huge turnaround in the second half and are 15 games above 500 and seemingly going to make the postseason. Yeah, and I mean, if you're looking at either division right now, as of at least today, which I mean, not to spoil anything, is Wednesday at this point, mm -hmm. both the teams who came in last in the first half are leading in the second half. So maybe there's something to that, or maybe life is chaos and there's no meaning to anything. But uh, yeah, the Dirty Birds, so... I, first of all, I got to say, I like the move to switch in the middle of two games. I understand what you were saying last week about like, yeah. hey, it's a double header and it's on a Tuesday night. That's kind of weird. And I agree about the Tuesday night thing, but I'll say West Virginia Power was a pretty bad name. And I think they were that excited to get rid of it that they were like, we're an indie ball team. We can do our thing. I'm not even sure like if the league exactly knew that they were going dirty birds on that one. So I kind of like that vibe. I know, uh, I don't know. It's tough that the Atlanta Falcon team have chosen Dirty Birds as the hashtag for the year, yeah. but I'm sure they'll they'll be able to move on from that. Okay, uh, but yeah, the Dirty Birds are something, man. Low key juggernaut in the league, guys. Like, yeah. I mean, three and a half games better than any other team in the second half. I don't even know how they pulled that off. And the lineup's good, but I mean, it's just basically the top six guys, and they're just carrying it, like night after night. It's something. I mean, have you? How many guys can you name in their rotation right now? All right. Oh, I know Villanueva. Villanueva's solid. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, it and Eric, Eric Sakula, man. And yeah. that's like it. Like I'll, I watch every game, and right now off the top of my head, I can name two. But they just keep on rolling. So there's something there. I think they've got an awesome clubhouse mix down there. Great vibe. Like I was just down in Charleston. I was watching them like warm up on a rainy day, and they were just having a good time talking having fun. They looked excited to be there on like a weeknight doubleheader that became a one seven inning game in the rain on a cold night. Like they still look hyped to be there. So I think there's something to that. I think they built a great team. That's really solid. Obviously when you have Jimmy parade, it's just smashing bombs. It's going to help. 
They got Dario Pisano back. Like they signed him. They he left from Southern Maryland with a play and with a weird European tournament, and then they just signed him. They're like, you're going to come to West Virginia now. Okay, thanks. So I mean, they're they're putting the right pieces in place, uh, and, and they just have been starting to roll. And it, it was funny, like it was one of those things where four days into the second half, they were bragging about it on on like Instagram and Twitter, and I was like so close to tweeting something that I would have regretted these days about like yeah still pretty early and, and i let it ride and man they just have not given up so there's something to whatever they're doing in charleston right now so you narrowly avoided the old takes exposed there by just letting it uh, play itself out there so close yeah, yeah so close yeah. i mean if we're talking about how far they're going to go in the playoffs yeah i don't know the legends the problem is the weak point for uh, the dirty birds right now is probably their third starting spot and the bullpen I mean, they got a couple good guys back there. They got Mike Broadway. Uh, they got Jack Weinberger, who still is kind of sketchy, I would yeah. say. Not to shade anybody, but it's not exactly the guy I want to go to in every clutch moment. And uh, Lexington uh, just scores touchdowns on people. So I'm not sure how that's necessarily going to go for the Dirty Birds, but it's pretty impressive the run they've put together here. And if Lexington and Charleston can team up to actually make the playoffs and play each other, that's quite the... Uh, the intro to the league for Andy Shea and them. So uh, I'm sure they'd be thrilled with that. Yeah, you'd have the battle of the former South Atlantic League there. And I mean, when you said earlier that it's just really the top six guys in the lineup, I mean, that is two-thirds of their lineup that's just going off right now. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. And you can see it on certain nights. Like last night, they put up three runs, and those first six got handled pretty much. Duke Von Schaumann is out there for York. He can be really nasty when he's on. He was on, shut down the first six, and you can kind of walk through usually getting two or three outs in a row on that back end of the lineup right now. So um, it, that's something that could really bite them in the playoffs. But also, uh, if they are facing Lexington, I'm not a huge believer in Lexington's rotation. I think at a certain point they've just started plugging in whatever they have. I know, I mean, Henry Owens isn't even getting looks anymore. I think J.J. Hoover leads the team in endings, which is saying something a little yeah. bit concerning. So I, I do think that those first six, if they're on, could really do some damage against the Legends. But if they have a rough game or they have a good scouting report on those guys, and remember, Lexington's just had time to prepare and get ready for this, and that team does like to look ahead and like know the numbers and know what's going on, it, it could also be a problem if uh, Charleston isn't ready to rock. So that will be a very interesting matchup. I think if if Charleston can get game one, I would be not surprised if they took game two as well. Mm -hmm. I think it would be pretty easy to discourage that Lexington team a little bit after they've had a rough second half here. Uh, I know they've been building. They've basically put their focus. At, I know I'm transitioning to yeah. Legends now, but since we're talking about the yeah. Dirty Birds, it kind of makes sense to roll that way. But yeah. yeah, the Legends basically had to rebuild their team because they lost a lot of guys, a lot of key components after the first half ended. And they, they've just understood that this next coming week is what it's all about. I think they probably would have liked to find that they've plugged in a lot of different pitchers and tried to see what works and they haven't had much success. And I think they probably would have liked for their pitching staff to be somewhere a little bit different uh, this time of year. They have some good bullpen options, some very good bullpen options, but, um, and they're well rested because they knew immediately that they're going to have to rest these guys and they've done a good job. So as long as they can avoid an implosion by one of those starters and the, the top of that West or the uh, Charleston lineup yeah. doesn't get to them, I, I think Lexington should be okay. But if they can't take game one, it could be a real problem for them. Yeah, so it's all about getting off the the hot start in the very beginning, seeing as they're 
they're not really deep in the pitching category there. Meanwhile, exactly. on the and winning in Charleston ain't easy. I mean, you have the Toastman effect going on, which in and of itself is probably at least worth two war. I would say. Can we pause because I just had my first experience with Toastman? Not literally pause, but like yeah. we're going to interrupt this conversation. Oh yeah, no, the Toastman Toast deserves deserves his own oh. segment in and of itself. Ruthless. I thought Jake Skull was going to fight a man. I was ready. <laughs> And like Jake, he played football for Georgia. He's not to be masked with. And like, apparently, also Jake School pitches. If you haven't been paying attention, yeah. man, just keeps showing up and throwing scoreless innings. But um, yeah, Skolhei Otani gets up there and just starts getting openly mocked about striking out a bunch, and then proceeds to strike out twice. And when I'm telling you, I was sweating while Toastman was on him. I was like, oh, this could be bad quick. I had the phone out, I was ready, but yeah. <laughs> no such violence. But man, like, I thought it was all right. Honestly, there's obviously a gimmick portion to it. Yeah. But if you're going up there, you got someone on you about striking out. How can you not be thinking about not striking out, which is not the headspace you need to be in as a hitter? That's that could legitimately be an advantage. He literally is his own home field advantage. I mean, when he was on this show, he explicitly said managers warn their team about him. So, and I was, I, and I was so nervous because it was raining when that day started. Which, again, you discussed yes. my weather situation. Yes. It was raining, and I thought there's not going to be a toaster out here, is there? I don't know if he's got an umbrella for it, but now nah, the rain parted, and as it parted, the glorious toaster came out. It was beautiful. Yes. It was. It brought tears to my eye. Yes. I mean, and some anxiety to me as well. Just you know, secondhand okay. anxiety. But uh, it was, it was all that lived up, or all that it was promised to be. I mean, it's like when you step into the Vatican, there's a flurry of emotions that come over you and you're just sheerly overwhelmed by them. So I can understand that. I was amazed by how how sweaty I was just being in his presence. Yeah. I mean, it's an overwhelming experience. <laughs> Truly. Um, it, but back to Charleston, yeah. like Charleston, they're a great team and I, I don't see the Rockers catching them. We'll talk, I'm sure, on the Rockers more yeah. in a second, but. I just don't see a way to do it. I think the, the Dirty Birds have the schedule set their way right now. Uh, they're, I mean, right now, Wednesday, they have a 94.7% chance to make the playoffs. Uh, they're out of the wild card, so they'll have to do it between the division, but it, it looks pretty secure. I mean, they're up four with, they have five to play. The Rockers have six to play. So there's really no room for error for the Rockers. And error is most of what the Rockers do right now because yeah. they are a, a disaster. So if we want to transition there, I'm down. Yeah, I I just want to touch on Lexington real quick before moving on to, oh, yeah. to high point. Yeah, the point I just want to bring up is with Lexington, and obviously they had rebuilt a lot. Obviously, the mound change was something that affected a lot of their guys and spooked a lot of them out to other leagues, or like in the case of Pacheco, uh, just straight up retirement. Um, I want to just kind of figure out is that whole rebuild the reason why they're just not really working in the second half or is it just more of a, a larger issue is there something else that just has kind of stopped working on them because obviously the ro the roster turnover is a, a non-insignificant factor in that but at the same time it's like you still have enough pieces it's still a good enough team where you shouldn't be under 500 and have such a dramatic uh, swing between the first and second half yeah and, and that's a good point i think early on they struggled and that was because they had a pretty big hole in their lineup after making those having those changes go and people forget their rotation was not very good to begin with at the end of the first half they really did they did not roar to a first half title they it went from talk of will this be the winningest atlantic league team ever to all right like they've been on the verge of clinching for like a week before they finally did it so 
it, they kind of stumbled around there, and I don't think – I mean, they had a couple good arms that got signed away quick. Lexington's good at getting guys signed, at least on the pitching side. And I think they just haven't been able to find the right pitchers to get it done. Now they rebuilt the hell out of that lineup. I, they're scoring runs at a clip. I think it's like 7.6 runs per game right now, which is about – 0.6 or 0.7 runs more than Gastonia, who's the second most in the league. So they're going to rake. Uh, but for the most part, it seems like it took them about a month, month and a half to really get the, the lineup where they wanted it. They got hot for about two weeks, and then it seems like they kind of went into saving the bullpen mode. You saw a lot of arms start to rotate through, guys starting to get added. I know like Liam O'Sullivan just came back from the injured list, and it's a little unclear from where I sit whether that is for the playoffs or if it's for him to eat some innings over the next few days to really preserve that bullpen again. But I think there was a few weeks where they really turned it on and made a, a strong effort with a, what we would consider a full deck. Yeah. And I think other than that, it's more or less been uh, them just trying to put things together. I think issues with the rotation are reality. Any issues you've seen with the lineup is probably more or less like yeah. I, I wouldn't count on that when the playoffs come around. All right. Yeah, so it's it really is uh it's starting to figure itself out and get back to the the team it actually is as opposed to the flashes we saw in the first half of them being a truly dominant team and then flashes in the second half where they're really kind of a basement dweller of a team. Yeah, they're pretty lucky the honey hunters are in their division. <laughs> Why? Because they always manage to put up 20 on them. Oh boy, do they hang some football scores on them? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Even though I, I said I tweeted something last night about man, like Lexington just crushes Gastonia because in my head, like I'm thinking about all these games they've blown them out. But when Gastonia is not getting blown out by Lexington, they are blowing out Lexington these days. Like there's a bunch of series where it's like Lexington wins by ten, Lexington wins by seven, and then Gastonia wins by twelve, and you're like, what? What is happening right now? So I, but that's the Honey Hunter style as well. So I, I mean. Who's to even say what's going on with that, except for, uh, honestly, me and a bunch of other people. <laughs> yeah, Mitch, didn't they have that one series earlier, like about a month or so ago, where there was something like 100 runs scored between three games or something along those lines? That did happen. That did happen, yes. Um, and that was, I think, a bit of a wake-up call to, uh, huh. for a, a little bit of everything. That was a wake-up call, certainly, to what was going on in Gastonia. Yeah. And I think also it was a wake-up call to Lexington that, like, hey, like, Sure, Gastonia is a tremendous offense, but if our pitchers are just getting absolutely crushed right now, that's an issue. If I recall, that might have been at the end of a road trip for Lexington. I, I do kind of forget the finer points of that. I remember the numbers, which were shocking, but it was it might have also been one of those things where I think Lexington was just out of arms at that point mm. and just trying to survive the series with an understanding that it's not worth blowing out a guy for when you know you're going to the playoffs. So yeah. th that probably was worse than it could have or than it should have been, rather. Yeah. But uh I would say everything that we have seen involving Lexington's offense and Gastonia's pitching is probably reality. All right. Now, uh, I will switch back now to uh, High Point there because we do have to spend time on them because they are the team which uh, has one of the better records. I th are they actually the best record in the league and are on the verge of not making the postseason because of the dumb way that the Atlantic League does the playoffs? Yeah, so they're second best right now. A couple okay. games back of Long Island because Long Island is Long Island. But yeah. you are right that they are very much on the verge of not making the playoffs. Um, that is more of a recent development. If you looked, so I mean, I work the playoff odds based on a few things I've been tracking throughout the year and kind of fine tuning it. So you can always argue with my numbers, which is fair. Yeah. But uh, it's it's based on a lot. It's based on you know 
trends throughout the league and uh, who you've got on your team and who you got coming up in your schedule. Mm. And the Rockers were holding over a 90% chance to make the playoffs two weeks ago, but they have uh, through their own uh, work shooting themselves in the foot and through the chaos that's happened in the North division, which we'll talk about in a bit, they are now sitting at a 5.3% chance to win the division and only, uh, and while they have a 91% chance to make, to win a wild card, it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. they're stuck hoping there's a wild card, praying there's a wild card, and there is not a good chance that there will be a wild card at this point. So if you're looking for their playoff odds now, it's down to 32.5% from the 90 plus that it was at two weeks ago. So a team that should be in the postseason is going to arguably miss the postseason because a team like, say, York, who really hasn't been too strong of a team for the whole year, decided to get really hot at the right time and take a playoff spot away from them. That's basically what we're saying. Um, I mean, I know that there's been some playoff uh, structure talk, but that is where we find ourselves thanks to the two-half breakdown. Yeah, I we've talked about it before on the show, but um, I got to be honest, I I really do hate this playoff system. It just, <laughs> everything about, like, it's just such a terrible system. Like, I I just don't see why halves matter. There's so many better options than just picking an arbitrary half champion. And uh, I, just, I hate that system so much. Yeah, and and it's worse to me as well because, I. by the way, I think you were very close. I like what you mentioned last yeah. week about if you win the first half, almost like uh, it, uh, like you get a point in F1 for like getting the fastest lap. I just started learning about F1, so I'm going to yeah. use that reference. Mm-hmm. But like you can get like a little something for that. And I think that give, getting a spot in the playoffs locked in for having that is great, but I still think you should have the whole – season counted in the record at the end of the year and not just in the wild card standings it's it just you know it, the whole thing of baseball we talk about all the time about the 162 someone just posted what the standings look like in the mlb after 60 games and then after 162 and how big the difference was and how if you really want to know if a team is good or not you have to play a lot of games yeah. and breaking it down to two small sample sizes is just kind of wild i understand part of why you might want to do that but essentially what Lexington could have learned, I don't believe this is the lesson they took from it, was that they can bring in top names to start the first half, completely blow out competition, and then take it easy and then do a full restructure and, you know, just it doesn't matter what they do in the second half because once you hit the playoffs, baseball is essentially random. Um, And that's really not the lesson (laughs) that teams should be taking from this. So uh, even with that issue, like I'm not sure if even giving a playoff spot away halfway through the year is the best move unless it was I think would come with a penalty if you didn't win. I think we should be looking at the way home field advantage is divvied up. Um, it, it's I found it weird that if the Ducks won the first half and the second half, they would still at some point have to play on the road in the playoffs. And I'm like, why? The other team never even beat them. So there's there's a lot of oddities to it. Even the one, um, boy, when Michael Pfaff comments on something that you post, you're oh. like, or like subtweets you. I'm always like, oh, no, I'm about to get fact-checked and straight humiliated here. Yeah. But he actually gave me a pretty helpful fact-check, and then he like made sure I was correct on something else. So I was like, sweet, I must be right about something. Yeah. He threw out the fact that the tiebreaker, say the Ducks tied with the Revs at the end of this season, or at the end of the second half here. The Revs automatically then get a playoff spot. Like They automatically qualify 
And in my head, I'm like, so none of the normal tiebreakers count. Like none of the tiebreakers you would use for the first half, like your head-to-head matchups and how you did against the division. It's just they don't even worry about it. And I'm like, that's weird because if you didn't, you didn't technically beat that team to win the division. You just did Hmm. enough. Like they could have beaten you every single time that they played, and you you just barely tied them, and then you get a playoff spot. There's not even consistency among the tiebreakers. There's like, yeah, it's good enough. Yeah. Like almost that in itself knows it's not real. I am now I'm getting worked up. Yeah. It just, it's a ridiculous system and it shouldn't be the case. Um, and there's no reason that we cannot do a 14 playoff with two division winners and two wildcard teams that have the best records other than the two teams who have won the division. It's simple enough. And as we expand the 10 teams, then I would be open to maybe a fifth team having to play their way in. I think that'd be pretty cool, but I like doing the one game wildcard thing, but yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't get paid for that kind of thing. Like, that's just it. Like, honestly, the league, I think, has the best structure. And I think, well, you can agree with me on this. It's the way the American Association did their postseason this past oh, year. Yeah. Like, damn. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that was a really interesting wrinkle. And I think the the, in, the really interesting part about that was kind of how they just threw that midseason, which just gave completely galvanized like uh, an, an entire like group of teams at the bottom, and I mean, and and we got we got a road upset uh, from from Sioux City knocking off uh, knocking off Cleburne. So I really think that it, it almost your I love the system in baseball in general when you have a division winner on each side, and you're letting teams that are in the wild card that or that win as a wild card and are getting into the playoffs as a wild card that. You're giving them the opportunity to get into the playoffs, but you are punishing them in a sense for not winning the division because you have to do something extra to get in instead of um instead of like if Long Island were to win the North Division, High Point just gets put in and they play the playoffs like any other team, and it's essentially essentially random, quote unquote, to, to quote what you said, Ryan. So I, I would really, I just never the first half and second half, like I know they do it or they used to do it in the affiliated minor leagues. I don't think they did it this year because because of COVID stuff. But in a normal minor league year, like you would see that uh, sometimes. But it's just I, I think that really was, for example, like a, a lot of Lexington's thought process because a lot of in, it's very common for Atlantic League teams to have to rebuild uh, mid season. That 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 happens every year. But the big difference is you doing that, you having to rebuild a pitching staff or rebuilding a lineup. When it doesn't really matter if you lose in the process, I mean that that is that's a game changer, and it really takes a, a, a ton of pressure off a team that has to do that while they're uh, while they're still playing for their lives at that point. Absolutely, and it frees you up to make all sorts of deals. Like, hey, like if you go to the American Association, especially in a year like this, go to the American Association, go to the Frontier League, and you can say we'll start working deals for their best players once that team's eliminated because you don't right. have to worry about the fifty or sixty games you got going on. That, that's that's a key thing. And now, and I'll say too, the wild card is a good thing. I think that is important. Let's be real. The Dodgers wouldn't have made the playoffs. So if, it, like, if you're just doing division winners, so the wild card is a good thing. It's just it needs to be intelligently done. And I do think it should reward, you know, have, winning the division. Yeah. It is it's just, not so much to ask. Yeah. It's not that it's such an easy system to implement. And it just, it, it honestly, it, the current system almost is like, the league forgets that there's still a baseball league that has their teams trying to win games. Like I understand, and we all understand that the point for a lot of these teams is to try and help 
get their players back to affiliated ball. That's why the players are in these leagues. They're trying to, you know, advance their careers and get back into the affiliated Myers to still have a shot at the major leagues. We all understand that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, part of the appeal of independent league baseball, as opposed to affiliated baseball, is the team that's taking the field is attempting to win games and not attempting to develop players. And yes. it, when you have a system like this, it just kind of seems like the actual winning of games and winning of the league is kind of just an afterthought where it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess we do need to wrap up this season. Uh, pick four teams, put them in the postseason, and then we'll go from there. It doesn't really matter after all. Yeah, and then that's even the weirdness of you got double headers being played where the first game doesn't even matter anymore because it's in the oh, yeah. first half. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? People are paying good money for it, yeah. and they're watching just anyone throw. They're putting... I mean, there was, I've seen some pretty close games, like arguably close. I mean, Atlantic League close for the scoring this yeah. year, where you see a position player get in there and you're like, all right, I guess we're doing that. I guess it doesn't matter. And they're doing bullpen games on just because they, it's a Sunday, it's a doubleheader, and they know that they're, this game doesn't matter. So as long as they can get through it, they got to rest day tomorrow. Like it's just, it's a bad look. And I yeah. think there's a lot of ways they could restructure it that could be really fun and really exciting. But, uh, yeah, this ain't it. Yeah. Like, so a lot of these teams are just going with Trevin Ascara games, as as the Frontier League word for that is. Yeah, yeah. and uh, all right. Well, no, that's don't it. even get me started here because yeah, I'm about to also contradict everything I just said when we yeah. do talk about the Rockers. So I'm going to put yeah. that down in advance here. Yeah. But it's the mess that is happening where you. We very nearly, and it didn't work out because of the way things ended up, but we also ended up with a situation where if the Rockers, because the Rockers play six straight against the Blue Crabs in the last nine games, yeah. if they needed, like, they very easily could have um, been in a situation where it would have been, like, wise for them to, like, not do their best in it. Yeah. Like, to motivate them, the blue grabs they care in a game. Like if this thing stacked up differently and they really need the blue grabs to play the revs hard, like they could have manipulated this all sorts of ways. Like it, yeah. it's just, it's a weird scenario. Yeah. For example, like I think you're looking at, again, this is being recorded on a Wednesday night and, uh, and Josh McAdams just hit a grand slam against high point. You could make the argument that's good for high point. Like that's that, that high point giving up a grand slam uh, or, I mean, oh wait, never mind. That's the opposite. What am I saying? No, no, you're good though. That just made no sense. But here's the scenario though. If they were playing the Ducks right now instead of the Blue Crabs, that absolutely could have been good for the Rockers because the Rockers, the league is very lucky right now that the Blue Crabs are not, or the, uh, the Rockers are not playing four games against the Ducks because the Rockers have zero motivation to beat the Ducks because if their playoff odds would be better getting swept by the Ducks than sweeping the Ducks. That's the situation. It's a crazy, it's a, it is a crazy system that, uh, that you could see in general. Uh, and, and I understand like divisions aren't always even, and that's just the reality of baseball and that's going to happen. But I mean, when you have a team like High Point, uh, who, who, who looks like they're going to miss the playoffs. And if the, the results hold as of Wednesday and you're having the 54, the, what's currently the 54 and 61 York Revolution. Uh, winning the division and getting t- and getting two home games against Long Island in the first round. I mean, it's just it, it, it's crazy. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. yeah. There's not much even to add on other than it's just yeah. it, 
there's a lot of years where I understand, like, it's nice that the Honey Hunters stayed relevant for a little bit longer than they would have this year. It's nice that the Revs get to be in a playoff race right now when they otherwise would not be. But it's not what's right. And I will go back to, I will reference uh, time and time again a, a quote that was about, like, the, the purpose of the playoffs and that we know that it's not really about finding the best team. It's about entertaining ourselves and forgetting that this is just a long slog of mortality, basically. Sam Miller had a great just yeah. whole thing on it, and I won't butcher it, but it, in the end, it is baseball. It's an entertainment thing. So, sure, why not have the revolution pop back in, and they can easily make up the difference. It's crazy, and it's chaos. But is it what's right? And if I'm a fan of the Rockers, and I'm watching this, am I overly motivated to then give myself to this league the next year? I don't know that I am. Yeah. It, just, it just doesn't motivate it. Although, I will say one last thing on the playoff subject before moving on to uh, actually cover more of the, the teams. One system that I think would be interesting to see how it would play out is kind of doing what the SPHL does, the Southern Pro Hockey League, which is you have your playoff teams and whoever's the best playoff team gets to pick who their opponent is in round one. Then team number two gets the pick, team number three gets the pick, and so on until we have our, our four matchups. And I would love to see something like that happen. I think that would just be yeah. so entertaining. Yeah, that is like the ultimate drama, too, especially with how familiar these teams are, too. Like, that's mm-hmm. get weird. Like, with all the drama between Lancaster and Long Island, like, imagine if Long Island was like, give us the Barnstormers right now. Like, oh. That's beautiful. Like, Ross Peoples is going to fight somebody. It's going to be amazing. So, I mean, there's all sorts of, like, great... I, uh, I No, I like that. And if we want to go that direction, I would support that fully. Like, yeah. more so than whatever we have going on right now. Uh, I Have you seen the KBO system, too? I learned a little bit about that at 5 a.m. watching baseball last year. Yeah, see, I, I didn't watch much of the KBO, so I don't really uh, I don't really know that system. Oh, KBO has wild energy. Oh, now I know what you're talking teams. about, yeah. Yep, five teams make it. I think the first one plays now. I might get the series wrong, but the fifth team plays the fourth team in I think a one game playoff. Yep. And then I think the winner plays the third team in some sort of short series. Oh. And then the third that winner plays the second team, that winner plays the first team. And like the whole argument of well, that downtime, that's brutal. In reality, I think it checks out that usually the downtime doesn't actually affect the team too much and they end up getting the win out of it. So uh, there's like some sort of streak. I think it was about the best team actually still winning despite the long break. But yeah, that is you want to talk about an advantage and you want to talk about a slog if you're the last team in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how well that plays to the American audience, but and also yeah. with travel budgets, I'm not sure you want to bounce from four cities if you yeah, are trying to make a full playoff run. But uh, you at least sell a bunch of merch off it. But that is yeah. one of my favorite just steering right into the chaos of it type of playoff format. Oh yeah, no that. That whole gauntlet style thing is that that would be fun. That'd be interesting. Boss oh. battles, I love it. The you know, I almost wonder, and I promise we'll move on after this. But I almost have always wondered what would it be like if we use like the college system for determining a postseason in like a professional league, where we have a selection committee determine who makes the postseason. Like I know that's oh, yeah. it's totally out there, but it's kind of entertaining to me to see that. If a team's just like, nah, York, you may have won the second half, but you're not good enough to make the postseason. You're out. 
and I don't necessarily think it's a good idea, but I can make the justification for you, which is yeah. we're deciding who's getting to the Hall of Fame based on MVP and Cy Young awards, and we're letting just people elect that, like vote for that, and we're letting just people elect people for the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, why can't a committee be deciding who's in the playoffs in given year? Yeah. That would be, I guess, the argument for it. Not sure it's the right argument, but it would be the argument. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's so-so, but even still, it would be interesting, to say the least. So, uh, Plus, I love a bracket reveal. Oh, I yeah. love a selection Sunday. So, I mean, on a selfish level, I'm all in. Oh, yeah. It would be just great. I mean, there's so many opportunities. Like, from the media aspect, I would absolutely love to be able to dissect the bracket and then call people stupid. But, you know, we I mean, don't get Realistically, that. we might have to do that when you have your Indie Ball World Series. But we'll down the line, we'll talk about it. One day that dream will be realized. I don't know when, <laughs> but one day it will be. I know it will. Even if I'll we'll be united. Yeah. Uh, on that note, high point. So, yeah. they're a good team again. Yeah, they are. And uh, with an asterisk, because I'm going to say I'm about to immediately just kind of ruin a lot of the things that I said about the Rockers needing to be there. Record wise, they need to be there. But the reason the Rockers find themselves in the situation they're in, if we're really being honest, is they're not that good of a team. And that's weird with their record. I get that. But they've really struggled with rotation consistency. Like they had a hot streak with uh, Tommy Lawrence and Bryce Hensley, but that's kind of come back to earth. Like Hensley's out of the bullpen right now. Like, and, and some of that's again, just restructuring to try to make a playoff run. Sure. But their rotation other than Cooper Cassad really hasn't been dominant and Cooper just, I mean, he got hit around last night, so they're only going to get one more outing out of him. And that's a huge red flag for them. And it, it was a huge blow last night when it happened. But not only that in this league with this offensive environment, they have one 300 hitter right now, which is pretty, I mean, yeah. I off the top of my head, I don't know what every other team has, but I know every team has at least three and maybe four. So it, it's, a pretty wild look from them to even be where they are considering those two facts. And I mean, Michael Russell, don't be wrong. He's slashing 371, 440, like 530, I think right now. Yeah. But they just probably, I don't think they have what takes for a stretch run. I think it's being really exposed as they go against some teams that are really hungry for it and they need wins. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I remember in the first half, they seem to just be like a sluggish team. Like obviously we were, we had other leagues we were looking at, so we didn't do too much of a deep look into it. But it, they just seemed like they weren't living up to the potential they had. And it just was like a real slow crawl into this. Plus, I vaguely remember like hearing that Edwin Arroyo was supposed to come back at some point, And that clearly is not going to happen anymore. Yeah. And, and you nailed that. And yeah. honestly, it, just looking at the first half results, it, they would have had a better shot at the first half. I mean, they were... They were hot then. They were hot in July, or I guess August as the second half started as well. But they lost by four games in the South Division the first half. And, I mean, they got they got smacked by Lexington when they played them. It was a mess. Like, I think at one point they were 1-8 and eight to start against them, maybe like 2-10. It was really bad for a while there. And, I mean, they left a lot of games on the table, and it was games that they have to have. So you can even look at their record and say, well, how much of that was beating up on West Virginia in the first half, how much of that was beating up on Gastonia in the first half. Like, I hate to poke holes in it. I like the Rockers. I like what they're doing over there. But I think, I mean, it is what it is. They were, they were given a good team, one good team to beat in their division in the first half and one good team to beat in the second half. And they just have not been able to find wins. I mean, it's got swept by Charleston. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a rough goal for them. And on that note, 
Switching over to the other North Carolina team in Gastonia, which has done better than we all thought they were going to do at the onset, our onset of this yep. uh, this season. But, yeah, see, uh, to be to be fair, Nick, at the time when we did it, they only we only knew I think what like five players on their team because they just repeat, <laughs> and then they just and then they just dropped like twenty five players in one day. To be fair, it was 10, and we only then found out the rest of the line. Oh, wait, that's true. It was 10, and then we found out the rest of it because then we saw a picture of the press notes. <laughs> that's right. The leaked press notes from High Point, I believe it was. That yeah. was how we figured this all out. That, Will, I think it was you and me shooting DMs back and forth trying to figure out who exactly was on the team. Yeah. The, is this that Josh Sala conversation? Like, <laughs> that was, that was. Uh, quite the couple days there as we figured out exactly who was on that team and realized like oh they have some they have like that Jason Rogers that was a weird thing too so right yeah that was that was burned in my brain those days yeah, yeah and it was funny it was just like I have okay that guy's never played in the uh, professional ball that guy's never played professional ball ooh Robbie Scott <laughs> yeah that was really the vibe I mean and, and then what about right off the bat, Riley Hovis, who hadn't done much yeah. except be a local kid, comes in and he gets signed a week and a half in. And at that point, guessing he was 500. All of a sudden, we were like, "Is this? Is this about to go down?" And yeah, they again. I think even they made a run, and but it was not meant to last. This wasn't a team that was built to last. This is more what you would. I feel like we would expect from a team's first year. We've been spoiled by High Point and Lexington and now Charleston even, but mm. I think this is more like what a team's first Atlantic League season tends to look like in many ways. Yeah. It, yeah, I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, it just doesn't tend to normally go well uh, when they first jump in. But, I mean, obviously, too, with those other situations, if you look at the, the general teams around them and the personnel around them, with the two teams that came from you know, affiliated ball, they already had kind of a command structure built around them. And then in the case of High Point, they also had a lot of longtime, you know, baseball guys. Plus they brought in Jamie Keefe, who was one of the best managers in indie ball. He just finally made the jump up to the Atlantic League from the Can-Am. So, I mean, they had a lot around them, which I guess now too with the Southern Illinois going down, that means Pinto's on the market, which if I'm Staten Island, I'm looking at that. It's a very tempting option, mm-hmm. but that's besides the point. Yeah, this is where my head was at as well. And yeah, and I mean, that's just not what we saw with Gastonia. I think uh, Goose, Gazo, I mean, there's a lot to be said there. There's not all bad. I, I know that I've not been overly positive about it, but he's not had much to work with. But as I think we also were said it was an interesting choice off the bat. You think yeah. you want somebody more experienced just for the sake of getting more connections so you can bring players in. And I think we're seeing that as time goes on here, the lack of connections. They have to get guys in the door. And, and then putting David Martin as sort of the GM of things, it was, I mean, especially in retrospect, a very questionable move. But I think off the bat, we all were kind of like, oh, okay, it's not really the name we thought we might see. Uh, I mean, it's not that it usually, if you're going to get a guy like Goose, you're going to want to get a off the, a front office guy who also has some connections to it. Putting David Martin in there was kind of, it was a head scratcher, I think. A little bit. I mean, he also had the time with High Point too. So, I mean, there was, Mm-hmm. And some familiarity there, but yeah, they, they probably could have found uh, more of a long-term uh, Atlantic League guy. I mean, I feel like, too, at the time when you have Gastonia coming in, you also have uh, the whole the Somerset and Sugarland departures, which I feel like you could have poached some people from there as well. 
Yeah, and that was really underutilized. I think it was Charleston just kept ending up with the Somerset guys, which I yeah. think was the funniest little yeah. like channel. But uh, and they did a nice job, and they've done well for them. I mean, look at Dave Kubiak. Which are we not going to mention? There's like a Dan Kubiak pitching for them right oh, now. Oh yeah, yeah, that's so confusing. Cool about that. I'm like, I'm I'm sorry. I'm really happy about my tweet the other day about yeah. having Dave Kubiak at home, and it's like Dan Kubiak. Like no no hate to Dan Kubiak, but like yeah. you gave me that one. And it, I don't know where they got that guy, but hey, good for him getting some innings in. But I mean, but you're seeing like the teams that are taking advantage of the opportunities in front of them are doing well, and we just didn't really see that urgency, I think, from uh, Gaston. But to be fair, it's also it's a lot even with an ownership group because they got to foot the bill. Like we forget about that, but you pour a lot of money in starting up a team, you all this everything that goes into it, and then you got to keep shelling out money. I know we're not talking about guys who are broke at the top of the chain here, but like it is, you know, you set up a budget in the beginning of the year and then you don't realize that every guy you sign, you got to get some travel pay for him. If they need visas, you got to deal with that. It things add up quickly. And all of a sudden at the end of the season, you're like, huh, I don't know. Now what you should do is make it work. And I'm not sure that's what's happening in Gastonia right now, but mm. they're, I'm going to try to give them the benefit of the doubt uh, from all I've heard. Brandon at the top, even though he's not in Gastonia, Brandon Bellamy has done a good job. And he's a very responsive owner. So that's, that's a good thing that they have going for them moving forward, but it's been a rough year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the bullpen management's really been the questionable part of the whole season because I mean, you've been vocal about how you have some guys throwing 34 pitches one night and then going back out and pitching the, the following night. And as a reliever, that's just, that's too much of a workload for them. I mean, do we want to do this? I'm fine to do this. I'm, I'm down for that. it. Why not? Okay. Might as well. All right. Here's what I'll say. I'm not going to go fully in depth on this because a little bit of a, uh, I guess a self promo here yeah. is I got an article and a video that's going to be dropping. It should be next week unless I get some sort of additional info I've got to work in, but I'm just kind of holding it until the season ends because I think that's the right way to go about it. But mm. there has been a serious situation going on with pitcher usage in Gastonia and it starts, I'm just going to give the highlights here because it would take too long to go into a deep dive, and that's what next week's video is for. But um, before I say anything, we are looking at really wild numbers being given up by Gastonia uh, on the mound. And I would say, for the most part, it's not bad pitchers. It's a bad situation. And they got guys like uh, Joe Cousia, Euclides Lair, Caleb Burles, Austin Glorious, good arms, and they're just being stretched to the max right now. And and when I started digging into it, Euclid's Lair. So Euclid's Lair became, it was fairly evident that when Jake Romanski went to Gastonia, that Lair was probably going to get uh, tapped to come over as the player to be named later. So hmm. that was the rumor I was getting from the Gastonia clubhouse. That was the rumor I was getting from the Lexington clubhouse from a couple of the guys there. And it, it seemed like, it, almost like common sense that that's what was going to go down. And immediately, as that, as that trade started coming down, as it was being worked out, they started working him like crazy. Lair was very good, and they were short arms, as they've been for most of the year. But they started throwing him like 30 pitches, then another 30 pitches, and then one off day, and then 40 pitches. And they were just abusing the guy. And that's what got my attention to this in the first place. So I started asking some questions, and it turns out they've had this going on most of the year. And I've sort of drawn it out where there was a few sort of critical points where it got real bad. But what it's come down to is basically – a front office GM situation where they're not seeing the urgency to sign guys and they're just listening to the wrong voices, which specifically in this case would be Reggie Harris, the pitching coach mm. who 
is the kind of guy who's got you thrown 40 pitch bullpen sessions two days after you throw, who's saying if you threw 30 pitches the day before, you're borderline. You can probably go again the next day out of the pen. And Goose Gaza, who he's mostly innocent in this because he is just working with what he's got. But at the same time, I mean, he's been in the game and he should know. And he has a bit of a track record of some things in New Britain, uh, which says that he should have learned that this isn't the way to go about using a bullpen. And, and it, it's gotten to the point where even guys are being thrown after vocalizing that they are hurt, after their training staff has vocalized that they're hurt and they shouldn't be active, they should be down for the day. All of a sudden, the trainer looks out and there's somebody who's who he said was going to be down. Um, and that trainer, by the way... It, I'm getting this because guys have gone to bat from him uh, for him. So it's this guy, Joe Holstead. And for reference, he's like, he loved like guys on other teams have been telling me how good that guy is. So every time I say something on Twitter about Gastonia's pitcher, they're like, let me tell you about that trainer though. So like that, he's doing something right. He's like a beloved, he's an army vet. And apparently what I'm hearing from some of the guys who have now left Gastonia is that at one point he was told by the coaching staff that his opinion doesn't matter when it comes to who is or is not available. (laughs) Despite the fact that he's training staff, he's been around the game a long time. And the fact that he's a human being who yeah. should have his opinion heard. So top to bottom, it's just being mishandled by like everybody in the room. And in the end, it's led to situations where nobody wants to come pitch for them. Nobody wants to stick around and pitch for them. The only guys who are still around are guys who are like, well, I'm not going to basically screw over the other guys by making them pitch more because I left. And I mean, right now they have, I think, four guys in the bullpen. They just burned Chase Ingram. Uh, Herman, he's overused. Custodio can only go one inning at this point. Uh, Austin Glorious, apparently he's supposed to start on Friday, so he's not available. Joe Cousy has cooked because they just pitched him. He's great and they've used him terribly, but he's cooked. Mm. And then they, what they do, their solution is to re-sign TJ Goko, who he had a 9.12 ERA and a 2.7 whip for them and in 24 innings already this season. So, they got six games to play in five days, I think, and no answer to how they're going to get through this without once again burning these guys. Oh, I'll go in depth on it another day, yeah. like obviously through ALPB Roundup, but that is kind of the preview of what we're going to talk about because it goes way further than you know. Uh-huh. I will tell you that I've heard from multiple sources that Reggie Harris in front of players the other day said, and I quote, that he doesn't give a shit about the guys in front of the guys. So if you're looking for what's going on in Gastonia right now and how that's going to start to play out when it comes to signing free agents, that's what you got going on. Oh, God, that that's a whole time. That's a tire yeah. fire. Like, I don't even know how a tire you, fire. I don't even know how you wind up rebuilding trust there. Because if that if the situation is essentially telling the trainer to screw off and the coach is saying, like, I'm just going to use you however I want and it doesn't really matter. Like the only way I could possibly see that working out is just cleaning house. That's really the only way, at least in my mind, mm-hmm. to rebuild any semblance of trust and actually have people willing to sign there. Yeah, and that I can't see a way that this goes down other than that. I would suspect that this is, and again, this is just a preview. So yeah. like, there's way more going on. It seems to be a known fact around the league that something ain't right, and I would be. I would not be surprised if some sort of conversation happened uh, where the league was like, hey, we need a culture change here because it's vital for the league that Gastonia has their act together moving forward, especially with that 10th team still up in the air for next year's expansion. So they cannot, if they're going to have a team that is not ideal, they cannot have Gastonia also basically putting a like bottom tier team out there. Um, 
So that's something that I'm sure they're going to be focused on. Uh, I know that the league already got involved with the Euclid's Lair situation. They couldn't get too involved, but they at least said, hey, we're watching. you got to do something different here. And they really haven't. It's room for 70 pitches the other night. So that's um, he's no longer the player to be named later, it seems. But that's mm-hmm. how that went. God, that, yeah, like Gastonia, like right now, I almost feel like the league's reaching recent expansion hinges on if High Point can finally turn their attendance around. Obviously, they had a rough first year attendance wise, but that that whole situation they were kind of behind on a lot of things. And then when it comes to Gastonia here, obviously now this situation here, it just seems like recent expansion has been an issue for them as of late. Yeah, and uh, it's hard to read. I think there's a natural tendency to think when you go into, and that's, by the way, why I'm a little nervous about Hagerstown. Um, But when you go into some of these markets where attendance is a question mark, I mean, just looking at Gastonia's population, you're like, who's going to fill the park? Uh, But areas like Lexington and Charleston, even where their attendance was, Lexington was all right, but like Charleston really needed work. There's a, you know, a thought process to be like a rebrand, a new league, a fresh face, some MLB guys that will turn this thing around. And usually the issues that impact whether or not people go to games is much deeper than that. It's mm. marketing. It's the team's image within the community. It's the social media work. Like it's, it's a million things. And just putting a better player on the field, I mean, 95% of the crowd isn't going to know the difference. So. I do think that's going to require a lot of attention. I think uh, as well, teams do fall into the trap. You get excited. I think uh, Lexington kind of sees it to an extent where they were very caught up in putting the best team possible on the field. And then they had to scramble to put a second best team possible on the field. And um, when it comes to it, like I'm sure they wish they gave a little more like future building toward like um, maybe like the marketing of the team. And I'm sure they have a new thing to roll out for the next season where it's more like a, a, balanced business and baseball approach. Uh, but I mean, I think looking at high point, I'm not overly acquainted with the front office situation, but it does have the appearance of, they have a great baseball operation over there. I'm not sure about the execution on the business side or if, whether it's just a difficult market and that's a possibility too. I mean, college towns are hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that's, it's worth looking into. And I, I am starting to become concerned if they don't see some numbers come from, the expansion to Hagerstown in two years. And if they don't get off on the right foot in Staten Island, which to a point, brother, I do think they've done a very nice job in Staten Island with getting the community involved there. Mm. Uh, I think the league could really see itself get overextended and it's going to really hurt any expansion effort in the future. Yeah. In regards to Staten Island, I was actually having a conversation with someone earlier today on it, which was it, they've done an okay job, but it feels mm-hmm. very political almost. Like every move has been the safe move. They really haven't done much in the way of actually like getting attention, drumming up a lot there. And also, I think part of that's just they have less than five employees at the moment working for that team. And none of the people there are social media or community outreach type. So that's going to be a drawback, too. Hopefully, once they get a GM in there, they can start filling that out in community outreaches towards the top. And then you see a, a social media person start to get involved and start spreading it out there. But Stan Island needs to work as well because you have the population base. You have the ownership that has money quite clearly. You have everything just kind of set up right then and there for them. You can really just kind of fill that role and fill that void. But I, in, a lot of this also just hinges on that game day experience because that's really what's going to get people to come back 
into the ballpark. And as much as, you know, guys like us want to see better players on the field, we're clearly in the minority there. We, Mm -hmm. we're not the person that's going to be, you know, targeted for the advertising. It's going to be the families that are going to be trying to go out to the ballpark and they care less about the actual game and more about the, the two and a half, three hours they're spending sitting in a ballpark and how much of a pain it is to get there and then get back home. Do they enjoy the whole time there? Is it affordable? All of those things to it. And yeah, the, the overall expansion of it is, uh, with Hagerstown and with Stan Island and then with wherever the, the other teams are going to go in. It's, uh, it's a bit concerning if it doesn't turn around. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I'm still optimistic about Staten Island. I mean, it's just yeah. such a big market, and I think the people involved do have good knowledge of it. But I think I would like to see they they say you know they got big pockets and all that. Like, I don't see necessarily a very good reason why they haven't put some people in place. There's no reason that like, I mean, right now they just keep posting the poll like from basically the Staten Island like entertainment company yeah. thing about like the you know what the team is. But like, there's no reason you can't like start getting some people in place. That isn't necessarily just like brand managers, which seem to probably be the ones calling the shots, which speaking of a tough rollout, that seems to be Estonia's problem is you're dealing with a PR firm basically over there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it, there's some things that could go very right for Staten Island, but little things that I think they seem to be aware of. It's, uh, I mean, for instance, they're very focused after the way everything went and left a weird taste in the local like community's mouth of New York people, locals. Yeah. And I know that's something that they're emphasizing while hiring, but at the same time, that doesn't mean you're getting the best. I mean, if the best person's from that area, go for it. But the best person for a lot of jobs will also understand how to learn about the community and speak to the community in a way that doesn't feel like just, you know, a, a corporate brand trying to, you know, uh, I guess patronize to them, yeah. like not patronize to them, but, uh, like, you know, just, yeah. I'm not going to find the word, but like just yeah. sell them a product. And I think that's the thing now. And the overfocus on what's on the field and like the players on the field, you're exactly right about that. Most people don't know. And I had a conversation with my wife the other day. We were on a long road trip and we got talking about, you know, things I'm interested in, which of course was almost solely baseball. And she was talking about, like, I, I picked her brain on, she goes to a ton of games with me. I'm like, what are the places you like? Like, she likes certain fields, like, she likes going back to certain games. And she's like, I like a, a pretty looking stadium. I like uh, an atmosphere where if I'm not watching the game, I've got something to like pay attention to, whether like a big thing is like entertaining in-game promotional like contests and things like that. Like the like crazy hot dog vendor in Reading plays because it's entertaining for two minutes that would otherwise be downtime where you have nothing to look at. Um, it's a good team store, a clean bathroom, like good food options. And I feel like very often that isn't emphasized nearly enough with some of these teams and, and they need to realize like you are of course trying to build a winning team, but for the most part, the fans want entertainment and a fun experience. Um, now winning certainly helps the experience, um, not giving up 18 runs and a ton of walks. I'm sure certainly would help the fan experience, but it, in the end, a good team is just a piece of it. Yeah. And I, I think teams need to come around to that mentality. I think the ducks, get that mentality by the way i think that's something they do a good balance of it a lot of good events up there a lot of good like community events as well i think the ducks are probably the model for the way to split that um but other teams are struggling i know the blue crabs there's no reason the blue crabs should have some of the attendance issues they have i know they're fighting in a football market but again if get a good budget under them after the pandemic season i'm sure that's a huge thing 
but like get that marketing out there and really sell to the community like the experience i think that would fix so many things for so many teams oh absolutely it, it definitely would uh would help out a Boy, lot we get in the weeds here yeah and no it's a worthwhile detour i mean hey we got plenty of time here uh so i guess with that though we can get back to actual baseball uh, discussion we'll go to the north division here uh just to keep things moving i'm gonna pause you real quick though because right. i will kick myself if i don't mention the honey hunters do have the wildest offense ever yeah. <laughs> so i'm just gonna mention jake skull who's skull hayotani now because he's throwing well reese hampton who just signed out of nowhere who's disgusting in that lineup Josh Sala, who continues to ruin the insurance rates of every local business and building and car because he is a danger to the entire town of Gastonia every time he steps up. Mike Kosinski, Jason Rogers. That is a wild lineup for Gastonia's first swing at it. That's quite the job done. So hopefully they can still recruit guys in next year. I'm not sure how many of those guys want to stick around. But, man, someone needs to sign Josh Sala. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, like, we've spent across all the leagues here, and we're like, how the hell is this guy still not signed? I mean, like, one of the key guys for us, at least looking at the American Association, was Adam Brett Walker. The dude's put up back-to-back 30 home run seasons, essentially, and he just keeps doing amazing things, and yet nobody ever wants to sign him. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you want from the guy? Exactly. It's just, that dude's a stud, but... Uh, on right, to, to the North Division. To the Sorry North, about that. Yeah, exactly. To the North Division, we go to the York Revolution, a team that's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and uh, they're leading the South, uh, the North Division for the second half, and they were just were not very good in the first half, as they've already eclipsed their win total from there uh, in yeah. this half. So, what's the story with the York Revolution? Uh, I mean, their lineup is just outrageous, <laughs> and I think that's kind of the name of the game right now. I think. A couple teams have figured out as they go along that this season was going to be probably about who can score more runs. So you get a couple arms in place, you get a couple late inning guys, and then you just build an offense. And that offense is just, it's unbelievable. It's Melky Mesa, Jack Henley, who's a great addition by them. Jack Henley, I'm always a little bit surprised is in the league. Nelly Rodriguez, who's really hit his stride, especially lately. Carlos Franco, Mikey Reynolds, who I know is a guy. Yeah, you love Mikey Reynolds. I'm a big Mikey. He hit one over the nemesis last night. Osmi Gregorio, Wellington Dotel. That is the lineup, and all of those guys are crushing baseballs. I mean, it's just they did not miss a single time building that lineup. Uh, I think I'm looking tonight. Their worst average is 200. That's their catcher in the nine spot. Other than that, their worst batting average tonight is 290 or, or 280. Their leadoff hitter. So they're just, so they're just I, a wrecking. What do you do? Yeah, they're a wrecking. Yeah. Track. And they know how to build a team. They know how to build a team that can punish balls over the left field wall at home. They know they can basically hit balls out anywhere, first of all, but just consistently, they're going to get at least a guy on base every inning, which is either going to, they're going to be able to work him across or they're just going to hit a bomb. They're going to put up a crooked number on you. And it's just a dangerous team to navigate around. The pitching, the pitching is going to be a huge concern if this team makes the playoffs. I think between Duke Von Shaman, who I've said before is nasty, but he's inconsistent, and Austin Nicely, who legitimately should be in an MLB organization. But that's it. I don't know who their third starter would be. I don't know what they would go with. That rotation could be an issue. I mean, the bullpen, they've solidified nicely. They've been really intelligent about the way they put all that together. But that's about how they've made this run. They have just hit more consistently than any other team in a league where hitting consistently is the name of the game. Yeah. And that that's a whole that's a whole other tangent. The fact that pitching doesn't seem to matter anymore in this league, but 
if I could add one, if I if I could add one thing, I, I'm just thinking of a game uh, the other night with York and just talking about like the, the lack of starting pitching. I mean, yeah, like Eduardo Rivera start uh, game one of that doubleheader against Gas against uh, <laughs> Gastonia, the seven the seventeen to sixteen game. I mean, it, that is that game. He might have got the longest leash I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, just he gave up. Uh, he gave up seven in the first, six in the second, and was allowed to come out and throw a scoreless third inning until he finally came out in the fourth. I mean, I think that that of course that's not like the whole pitching staff, but I, I do agree. I think that's that's going to be a big issue, as amazing as that offense is. But I think the good news is for them. Um, at the end of the day, if they were to face Long Island, not the greatest lineup. So I think they had that going for them. Uh, but yeah, definitely a lack of a pitching depth is, is, is historically been a problem in New York, but certainly this year. Yeah. And I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, that doubleheader was absolutely insane. That was the one where it's 13 to one Gastonia. And then they blew that lead in a seven inning game. And then they blew an eight oh lead in a seven inning game in the second half. Or yeah, it was eight oh. So they end up losing 17, 6, 10, 9. It's just, and that's just Gastonia. There's nothing left. And it's, that's just the way it is right with them right now. There's no fresh arm to go to, but York took advantage. And I'll say leaving him in that long, I mean, I think it was the right call. It sounds weird, but I think that's the right string to pull there when it comes to that. Because, I mean, what are you going to, you're in a playoff race. Like, he, un, you understand at a certain point, well, it looks like you're going to lose this game. Nobody would have bet that they were going to come back on him. You might as well just throw until you can't throw anymore and then don't burn out your bullpen. You got game two coming up. And I guess it was the right string to pull. I guess you're never out of game, out of a game against Gastonia right now. But uh, yeah, that was one of the most, I was driving the whole day and I got back and I just opened up my computer. I was like, wow, do I even bother to recap this? <laughs> because it was just such a disaster. But you're, that's it. That's the theme. That comeback is what we're watching in the standings too. So maybe that is just the DNA of this team. And in that case, I don't doubt them if they make a playoff uh, berth here. So on that note, I do want to talk about uh, a team that does have a pitcher that's probably like one of the most beloved figures in the Atlantic League in the Southern Illinois, or not Southern Illinois, they're not in this league. They're not in any league anymore. The, the, Southern, yeah, the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, uh, that have Daryl Thompson, who is, I think, one of the most beloved figures, probably in indie ball as a whole. But I also wanted to point out here, because I didn't realize this, because the Atlantic League does not update their records page, but he's only like 10 innings off from setting the all-time innings pitched record. Yes, and he just got the wins record. I know, yeah. he's Unreal. Yeah, The dude's just like, he's like a Terminator. He just keeps going. He's the pitcher equivalent to Lou Ford. Isn't yeah. it the most? Isn't it the most Atlantic League thing ever that the that the record page just hasn't been updated since the beginning of the 2018 season? So we have to guess as far as like records and how close they are if the team doesn't say anything, or just like try to like do some other like do math yourself. Like it's just nuts to me that like even the Atlantic League themselves isn't promoting like Daryl Thompson and like his, his and how amazing he is like as much as as much as they should be honestly. Yeah. I would give anything for the the website to just be like handled by like I know it's handled by people who got like other job descriptions. I would love for like the website just be handled by somebody who handles the website because like it needs so much love right now. It's uh, it's so it's so frustrating. The fact that I like immediately became the stat resource for the league and like my first full season covering it, it kind of says a lot. Yeah, I mean, 
You should have seen how much fun I was having last week trying to do the weekly roundup and find players of the week when they don't have a way to sort by stats by like last seven days. So I was looking through every box score to find out who was hot and who wasn't hot. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I just had to stop doing player of the week and player of the weekend. It was just, <laughs> it was it's too, too much. much of a headache. Uh, yeah. Um, it, that's the whole sidebar, yeah. but I mean, Southern Maryland, it's, I mean, it's Daryl Thompson's world. We're just living in it. I think at this point, Yeah. Um, you nailed it last week when you're talking about how he's just like, he could throw forever. I mean, you got like the whole like tungsten arm Thompson thing going on where you just you could see him in the 1920s, you know, same sort of wind up, same sort of everything. And just like going out there throwing every second day and just getting it done. Um, it, it's, it's really wild to watch. I mean, and his ability to just, his numbers aren't even that shocking in a way, like not like the accumulation numbers are absolutely ridiculous. But like, if we're looking at some of the more rate stats, it's like, he's not so so dominant not like he has been other years and it's just finding like i mean 3.14 in this league obviously is ridiculous but like you sometimes you think like a guy's the way that he commands a game you would think he would dominate every game and he's had a few games where he gives up like five or six runs and still somehow comes out with a win and i really do believe it's his ability to just give up runs and just keep on rolling like he is just an old school pitcher who knows his job his job is to get the ball into the bullpen's hands late not in the fourth not in the fifth get it late and if they need a day off give him a day off and he basically does what he needs to do he's not afraid to have full games where he has straight people out. he's not afraid to have games where he's got to let them put the ball in play and you know i think he understands the league better than anybody else i'm sure on the mound and it, with that he's coaching up the guys on the team and i think in so many ways, he is a weapon. And when it comes to, I think of Jamie Moyer a lot when I watch him, where Jamie Moyer yeah. used to go out for the Phillies and just do what he had to do. Like they put him out there in big situations, which was a bold call to put old Jamie Moyer out there. But Jamie knew what it needed to be done. And it, his baseball IQ was so high that he delivered. And that's Dale Thompson. It's, it is, I am so glad that we are in a time where we can watch him do his thing. I mean, he's 14 and three this year. It's, yeah. why not? Yeah, I just, he just, he defies logic is what he does on a seemingly uh, semi-regular basis, which, as is just a side note, that's one of my side projects, which is, I really do think Jamie Moyer deserves to have at least a shot at the Hall of Fame, just for longevity, and because, well, yeah, he's not the best pitcher in the world, he's still pitched for a very long time at a very high level, and I think that's worthy of note. At least better than some of the names that are in there. Yeah, I would completely agree with you. And I mean, if you want to talk about people who had an impact, I mean, the Phillies, I don't think the Phillies win the 2008 World Series without him, even if he didn't step on the mound because of the way that that guy had an impact on the pitchers around him. He changed in a lot of ways. Like, there was a young pitching staff around him back in 2008, and he coached them up. Hamels, all these random guys who kind of went in and out of that team. And he was the leader. They were, he was always chatting with them in the dugout. And that's what Daryl Thompson brings to it. I mean, he's constantly working. He's constantly showing guys like what he can, like what they can do to get better. You can see him talking to guys a lot in the dugout when you're at a game where he's at. It's, uh, it's really hard to even overlook all the ways that he's the best, it, which is crazy to say, but it's the fact. Yeah. Which when you put it that way, maybe Moyer should have retired earlier then. I wouldn't be against that. 
Yeah, I mean, man, I can talk Jamie Moore all day, but I think he was he. It comes down to he knew what his job was and he delivered it, and that was you know that that's exactly what Daryl does. That's exactly what you want from your guy going out there every five days. Just you know, like I said, just as a Met fan, I think he should have retired maybe '07. I think that would be perfect. Yeah, do you really want to bring up 07 now as a Mets fan? We're not going to remember. So you forget, baseball just didn't wasn't played between the years of like the end of 06 through like eh, roughly July of 2015. It just wasn't played. And then yeah, mysteriously, I've never heard of David Wright. I mean, look, David Wright is like a Greek tragedy. <laughs> oh yeah, that's fair. It's something so, else. Hold on, bring it. Let's see if we can bring it back. I believe in us. Yeah. Southern Maryland. Yeah. Daryl Thompson, legend, goat, no one questioning. Here's the problem. I don't think they have a legitimate second and third starter behind him. They got guys who could argue for it, but they'd have to really argue. And I think that is the number one thing. Even if the Blue Crabs make the playoffs here, which they have like a 30-something percent chance to make it, I think that's going to be a huge thing for them is how they have to win the Daryl Thompson start in order to make that work. And then... Their bullpen is lights out. Don't get it wrong. I mean, Dylan Brammer, who's new and he's fantastic, Dalton Geeky, Matt Latos, and Reese Brasino, that is a very difficult 7-8-9. If you are, you're playing Little League games against them right now. If you're playing the Blue Crabs and you're losing after six, you are in deep trouble right now. But the thing is, <laughs> the catch is, their starters are not very strong. And if the Blue Crabs make it, they are going to play the Ducks, who I've seen the Ducks. I don't know what their numbers are against thompson this year but i've seen them hit daryl thompson around a couple times which means they are not concerned about facing daryl thompson in a big game which is that is a huge difficulty for southern Maryland to overcome uh i mean offensively they're good ruby silva is out of his mind since coming to southern Maryland. he's like 360 average since he joined jack collier's awesome alex crosby's amazing but when it comes down to it they're gonna need some pitching to step up and it, sure, it might be extending that seven eight nine combination to cover the fifth and the sixth inning too, which I'm sure they'd be willing to do. But uh, Dalton Geeky can get a little overextended when you try to get more than three or four outs out of him. And uh, Latos, he can do two innings for you. Uh, Persino struggles after doing one inning of work, so they're they're a little limited. I think that's going to probably be the thing that comes back to bite them, especially if they make the playoffs. It does warm my heart to hear former Can Am leaguers doing well in the uh, in Brammer and Silva. I yeah. I always I, believed in Ruby Silva. Like from when I watched him in Sussex, I was like, this guy's better than he's playing. And Brammer, I just Brammer's a dude that can also swing the bat too. I've seen him play very well on both sides. He's he's a I've heard that. Player. Yeah, I've but, heard that from multiple people now. So I'm I'm looking forward to actually seeing one of his at bats in person. It's been yeah. I haven't had that opportunity, but I it's so funny people keep brought up keep bringing up how Dylan Brammer's a good hitter. Yeah, I went to one game. It was a day game. He came on to pinch hit. Then he he got a go-ahead base hit, if I remember right. Then stayed in the game to end the game as a closer. Through a, I think it was a six-out save. It was either a six or three-out save. And I was just like, now that's a ball player right there. That's that guy. 1.8 year right so far. It's really... Yeah. He's shown up. He hasn't gotten... He's got one plate appearance right now. Uh, looks like he had a sack bunt. So how about him showing up and getting it done? Got it. Oh, man. Career average, like, 233. In indie leagues, yeah. not going to count foreign baseball because foreign baseball is a wild card. But yeah. uh, that's not—that's a career, man. That's that's sh- showing up and putting up numbers. Yeah, I'm telling you, he's a two-way player. But with that said, we talked about one ageless wonder. We got to go to the other one. 
in Lou Ford. Lou Ford. I think this Lou is the Ford. point where all three of Lou us Ford. gush about Lou Ford. Oh, uh, I mean, this is his league, right? Like yeah. when he retires, he inherits the league. Am I unclear on that? Uh, well, I think he has to go in a a uh, simple home run derby, strike him out derby for Sterile Thompson for control of the league. Well, I think the real issue here is no, neither of them are going to retire. Well, that's obviously the main so issue. I think yes. this is all a hypothetical that will never actually come about because Lou Ford will, I, I believe, his obituary will end in 50 years with, yeah, may he rest in peace. He also went two for three yesterday. <laughs> I mean, that has to be the way that ends. Like, bury him behind home plate. Yeah, I mean, he's just put him in the batter's box. He's there every day anyway. <laughs> He's hitting 300. Well, he could probably still have a decent on base if you put him in the batter's box. Oh, I mean, he'll still draw walks. Put the robozone in there. <laughs> now, if he gets popped by a pitch, does that count? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, we'll count it. Cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's doing quite the job up there. And underrated, like, he's also got to be a great ass as a coach. I don't hear too much from the Long Island side of things. But, I mean, just common sense says, who, what other hitter in this league knows the league quite like him? Um, knows, like, the approach, knows how to, like, work in certain ballparks, like, which ones you can, like, you got to kind of adjust your approach at and things like that. I mean, he, he's got to be a huge benefit to them. And, and looking at that offense, they have Steve Lombardozzi, LJ Mazzilli, Ty Kelly, Johnny Turbo. I, they're really good. I do think they're a little bit inconsistent. We've seen that throughout the year. I mean, right now they're on a losing streak. Uh, I know there's some question about how, you know, all in they are during this losing streak because they are in the playoffs and they are saving arms, but whether or not they're saving arms, they're also not putting up great offense. That's been something they've been streaky on during the year. There is a chance that, you know, this is the streak of difficult hitting for them. And I really do think when they hit the playoffs, they'll probably hit well, especially against a team like Southern Maryland or York, because both teams are coming in with not the best starting rotation. So I think Long Island, I would very, I would Try to comfortably predict something for a three-game series, but I really do think Long Island will probably be the North Division representative in the championship series. I, I don't feel that they will even be too much under fire. I think they'll they'll really represent themselves pretty well. Um, it's going to be tough to have to travel a little bit, especially if they have to make the drive to Southern Maryland. But I, I mean, they're professionals. I think Long Island should be fine. So even that even goes if they if some miracle happens and High Point's able to get into the postseason, they draw High Point, then that would be just no problem. Yeah, because again, I think if you're looking at the the strong point of Long Island, one they have a good rotation. They have Joe Iorio, uh, who's again these guys aren't lights out, but they're consistent and they give innings. So Joe Iorio, uh, they have uh, Darren Downs, Feldman's around, Anderson De Leon's around, so. Uh, Scott Harkin has been hot since joining that team, by the way. If you haven't been watching that, Scott Harkin showed up. He's had a couple of lights-out games. So they have guys who can represent themselves well, pitch very well in games, and they also have depth. So they should be able to stay out of trouble on the mound. They have a solid bullpen. Um, I think there's some question marks in the bullpen. They have some young guys who have come from, like, the prospect league or whatever, like whatever we're calling that thing now, the one that I think Trenton ended up in. Oh, that thing. There's some red flags there, but I will point this out. Now, I, you know me. I love a box score. Michael Tonkin was in the box score last night. He has not been announced on the transaction page, but Michael Tonkin might be back for the Ducks right now, which would be huge for them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think this is an offense that could probably beat up on the starting rotation for High Point, 
for uh, Long Island, or no, I'm sorry, not Long Island, for York or for Southern Maryland, especially because they will not be able to rest their pitchers beforehand, and they would have to go from a Sunday game straight into a Monday game. I really think the Ducks will probably put up some runs. I've just remembered, we have a local Duck announcer, a broadcaster, also on this show. Do you know about Mr. Tompkin? I'm referencing the fact that Will has called Ducks games before. So, Will, do you know? Oh, about that Tonkin? is true. Oh, that's right. My, my, Michael Will. Tonkin. Michael Tonkin is very. He is. Uh, he is very good. Although I have not seen him active in a in a while. So I. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't have any additional information there. Uh, I thought we were going to get inside yeah, right. yeah. No. I was hype about you getting an opportunity, man. I oh, it I is exciting. As well, I was driving all day long, but that was awesome for you. So I'm glad I I made my debut for a couple innings in Southern Maryland and boy, is that a roll of the dice, but you're a much safer bet. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> call by them. But, um, yeah. My info, Mike Tonkin. I mean, he got signed out after having a terrific start to the year of 0.53 year a and 16 appearances. And, uh, it, and then Ellen, I don't know anything else other than he showed up in the box square last night as an available pitcher. He didn't get a game action, but, uh, that's something to keep an eye on. Cause that would be huge for them. Oh, Absolutely. I'm glad to say I'm the only one here that has yet to appear on another team's broadcast. I'm glad to see that. Ooh. Nick, yeah. I think you have enough pull to make that happen if you need it, if you wanted to. Oh, I mean, like, I sit next to the minor broadcasting booth in most games I go. Like, if I really wanted to, I could probably just lean and go, hey, Brett, mind if I jump on for anything? <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you got to make that happen. I mean, I very well could. I may, but I think I can one-up everybody by saying I've been on radio. So, yeah. Oh, that is true. You were you were on ESPN Radio. That's something I can I could only aspire to. It's a top. That's six. amazing. Well, anybody can really be on the broadcast if they decide to go to Gastonia and then just sit next to the camera. There's no broadcaster. You can just talk loudly. You got this. <laughs> That's true. You know what? Why don't Why don't the three of us go down to Gastonia and we just sit right next to the camera and we just call the game? So we'll just I can't see how that goes wrong. Yeah, I cannot, no, not yeah, at all. No way that that would go wrong. And we can't be held accountable for uh, anything that goes wrong. Oh, my God. You know, I live my whole life not held accountable. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, I'm fine with it. Okay. When they come up with their schedule, we're going to pick a game. We're going to do this. I love it. I, I think it's 50-50. They have a broadcast team next year. <laughs> I, I think it might be less than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I'm only going to agree on one condition, and that is we pick a game, but it rains that day because it's just fitting for road trips in, with indie ball around this group. How dare you? Uh, How dare you? You want to mention my Zoom stuff? I'm going to mention that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, that was um, that road trip would have been amazing. That's been a goal of mine to hit three games in one day for a long time. And uh, I ended up hitting one game each day on a two-day road trip. So that was a heartbreaker. Yeah. Could have been four and two. Could have been three games in one. Uh, just uh, 20 hours of driving to catch two baseball games. Rough. One with seven innings. Uh, rest I've done. It's even worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to got to hang out with the Gastonia bullpen a bit though. So that was fun. Yeah, that's cool. I almost got asked to pitch, but I was you know <laughs> I, wasn't yeah. enough, I wasn't on short enough rest. So that well, was I mean, but unfortunately, they 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 won't give a shit about you apparently. So, apparently, and I mean, I've had multiple coaches tell me that before, but most of the time it's pretty deserved. Yeah. <laughs> like Ryan, we you didn't even make this team. Why are you here? As I've said before, you cannot throw expressly a fastball that goes slow that you call a changeup and nothing else, which is a fair point. I but you know, sure. yeah, I'm a trier. I work hard. Look, that's worth something. I mean, to put it in hockey terms, 
Jared Tenorti is still on the Rangers roster for some godforsaken reason, and he doesn't even do anything. So I think you can make a bullpen. I agree. I uh, I do nothing all the time. So yeah, I, I think I've got a lot of potential. I feel like I got to put that quote somewhere up on my wall. I do nothing all the time. I do nothing all the time. Very what good. Do I do? do mostly nothing. But if we we do have one last team to talk about, and this team I don't think is terribly far from you. And I've gotten yelled at before because I call it Lancaster, and apparently it's Lancaster. And I still believe if you want to be called Lancaster, change the C A N to a K I S, and then everyone will know what you mean. Or just change the A to an E. That could also. Yeah, I will say that Lancaster. Like I don't know. Really? I will say Nick, before the game, I called between it was between the Ducks and the Barnstormers. So I asked for the opinion about six different people about what I should say on the broadcast. Lancaster or Lancaster, and I out of the six people I asked, it was three and three, which really did not help me. And I just I, and I ended up going with the gut call of Lancaster. See, that's why you got to ask seven because then you have an odd number and it's lucky. Oh, I should have thought of that. See, we're not playing best of six game series here. We'll get it together. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, really, if we're getting down to it, it's seven. Just like how long these games are, seven innings. And if, Unfortunately. and if people are still undecided at that point, then just find some random dude and ask the guy behind him because you got to start with the second guy. <laughs> well, now that brings up a point here that I discussed like briefly, I think on the Blue Crabs broadcast when I was actually there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's on Long Island. I'm sure we've all gotten in trouble. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. On Long Island. Is it yes. on or in Staten Island? I think in Oh, I think it's I in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never, I've never heard anyone say on Staten Island. So, yeah, on Long Island's a big thing, though. Like, I, I think I believe it was the Legends Twitter account that uh, that said that they were in Long Island opening day and got roasted for it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that did happen. That absolutely did. I think it was the Legends. You're right, but that was top notch viewing, and I definitely was. That was when I was like, hmm, noted. Okay, on Long Island. <laughs> Oh, I say in and out. Yeah, know them. Yeah. As someone who is currently on Long Island, I can confirm it is on Long Island. How's life in Long Island, Will? Um, you know, it's... Long As a Island Red Sox fan, great. I bet it's wonderful right now. Uh, you'd be surprised how many Red Sox fans go to this school, let me tell you. <laughs> There's probably more Red Sox fans than Yankee fans, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Well, that's just a good group I of mean, people. Today, yeah, I mean, who much. wants to be a Yankee fan? Nobody. I mean... <laughs> I'm just saying there in the last decade, the Mets have won more than the Yankees have. It's, it's a fact. That's true. Yeah. So the, the team in Amish land, they any good? Because ah, I yes. see they, I the know we do. Boys. Ah, okay, good. Because, and I feel like this is a fitting time for this episode, even though it's going to be a little out of date by the time this goes up to do a Lancaster ERA check. And they're at seven Oh four. They are getting dangerously close to dropping yeah, under, under seven. So, what are we going to do on the show, Nick, if they get under seven? I don't even know. Uh, we got to have something grand. I mean, we could Getting give away power tools. Tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I'll like... tell you. I can, I can tell you where that went on. This bullpen got good. Yeah. Basically, it, as they have guys who are throwing hard. And at the very least, they're going to throw hard, even if they don't have their best stuff. Between... Uh, Donnie Velo, Don Goodson, Scott Schumann, and then uh, Tyler Laporte. They got some good options out of the bullpen, and then they'll throw Garrett Granites, who's just throwing Frisbees. 
and it's a tough it's not a comfortable bullpen to face and i think that's a huge difference maker they're those first few weeks and the first honestly couple months they were giving up a ton of runs in the late innings i mean it's brutal and it was especially brutal because they gave up a ton of runs in the early innings too but they've they've figured something out there and that bullpen has gotten at least a lot more watchable which is key and um yeah i, I think they're i don't think they have a great shot making the playoffs are three and a half out right now they are being the ducks right now two to one in the seventh inning so who knows that might do something for them york is tied so i mean if Lancaster wins and York is York can't pull this one out, that is a two and a half game deficit, which is definitely something. But uh, it's I don't see them doing it. I think the bats are hot again. Their bullpen's good, but they just don't have much in the way of starting pitching right now, despite the fact that again they're up two to one the Ducks, but the Ducks are pretty streaky as I mentioned. But if they do, just just leaving it with that. If they do pull this out. <laughs> If they do pull this out, it could be very interesting because if they manage to get in there and the Ducks bats are still cold, then they have a shot. If they get in there and the Ducks bats are hot, this could be a very quick series. But wouldn't it be very peak Atlantic League to have the Barnstormers win the whole thing? I think it would be amazing. I think that team, and on that last out, their ERA dips below seven. Just, oh, that was it would suck on full circle. If you I really want to make man. it like a Disney film, their ERA drops below rom- five. How can you not be? Ro- how can you not be romantic about baseball? Exactly. Uh, and for your information, here, that's Dom DeSabatino, who's pitching great for Lancaster. He is really good. That dude, he has a lot of potential. He's had. Don't look at the season long numbers because Lancaster is a nightmare. But he's done really well. And then it was Scott Harkin on the other side for Long Island, pitching well too. Two runs tonight. So. They have starters on both sides. Um, Lancaster's guys can get it done. For the most part, Long Island's guys show up and do their job when they need to do their job. So I think that would be a huge thing, no matter who Long Island ends up playing here. Mm. So I guess with that, I we could wrap it up with one final point, which okay. is what do we expect the postseason to be? What, what teams, is, as of this moment, do we expect to be? We know, obviously... Lexington's going to be there. We know, obviously, Long Island's going to be there. And it seems pretty safe to say that Charleston's going to be there. But that last team is still very much in flux. So who do you think, out of everything we just said over the past 90 minutes or so, has that best shot at kind of grabbing that last uh, last piece? Well, I would say, I, I think, yeah, Charleston, they're going to get there. Uh, that's going to be a very good series, I think. I mean, right now I'm looking at the scores because they're so it's such a tight race. You have to look at the scores today. I mean, York is up. York just went up five to three now, so they're in the lead. Um, Southern Maryland's running away on high point again. They're up by six. So Southern Maryland, it, the bats are clicking right now. Pitching looks good, uh, but isn't going to be enough to catch the Revs. And the Revs are just so hot. And right now, high point is the stressful piece of the schedule for them. But they're going to play the Ducks, who not only are ice cold at the plate, but they have no real motivation to throw anybody who's good this weekend. Uh, I would have more concern for the blue crabs trying to beat Lexington because even if Lexington's saving pitchers, they're going to put up runs. Uh, so I would say probably, I think York does come out of this with the division. Um, I don't think Long Island pulls it off. I, I just think it's, they have no motivation to make up the game. They have to make up. Uh, so even with a game in hand, I don't know that the blue crabs will catch up to the revs. 
The only plot twist is the blue crabs, if they do catch the revs and tie, they do own the tiebreaker there. But I, I'm very confident in York right now. Um, and I, I do, I think York beats the ducks, though. Oh, God. Who's to say? Yeah. It's so hard because it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing with the ducks on who's going to actually show up in the playoffs. Yeah. It, oh, it, yeah. Long Island just hit a two run bomb, I think. So. Okay, so mm, the ducks are the, the ducks are back. The ducks are hot. Ramon Flores, home run. Ducks are hot. Forget what I said. The quack is back. Uh, yeah, okay. I thought I thought Flores was going to be a lot better than he's than he's ended up being. So for the ducks, I'll be honest. Yeah, um, there's a a couple guys who I was kind of looking for more out of on that team. I mean, Hector Sanchez, he's a like he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he's electric. The pitchers seem to love him, but I mean, Sal Giardina has I mean made him look bad by putting up the numbers he's put up. I'm surprised Sal isn't seeing Sal's playing, I think two, usually three out of every seven games. So they're almost going back and forth with that. But um, it, it's, it, it's not, it, there's a couple guys on the team who, while, you know, I, I would suspect that it, it's the guys like that who, when they go cold, that's what drags the lineup. Um, yeah, I, I haven't done the research into that. <laughs> I, I might just be talking without any evidence here, but it, that is my general feel on what their situation yeah. is. Yeah, or even a guy like Chris Shaw, too. Who, who yeah, Chris Shaw. Him? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. I keep forgetting Chris Shaw is there. So they're basically wrote, thrown three guys through who can catch, um, who, who can play uh, first, I guess, because Sal Giordani is playing first. Um, yeah. Man, I have no idea what to make of the Ducks. It's the funniest thing. It it's, just depends who shows up for them. And on the same thing, it's, you know, Duke Von Shaman, he looked good last night against the Ducks, but if he has to pitch against the Ducks again in a big game, who knows how that's going to go. Or he didn't pitch against the Ducks uh, last night, rather. He pitched uh, against the Ducks a little while back. But I, I'm a little concerned about him going against the Ducks in a big game, which I think is what they're going to really need from him. Austin nicely is that dude, though. So York at least has that. Um, oh, man. It, the playoffs are going to be such a, a toss-up. I mean, it's essentially going to be grab one out of the hat and see what happens. Uh, so it's really going to just come down to whoever gets hot in the postseason here, but leaning towards a, a York to take it in the into um, the playoff. Into the playoffs, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, that's where I'm at at this point. I just think Southern Maryland has some ground to make up. They're going to have to win an extra game, and uh, I, <laughs> but boy, the Rockers look so bad. So maybe they can do it. It's so tough to call. Um, I'm going to go at this point. I'm going to go with the revs, but I could easily look dumb and have the blue crabs absolutely win this by two or three games and at the last stretch here. Well, don't worry. Southern Maryland's not known for calling out takes they don't like. Mm, certainly not. Yeah. Well, Southern Maryland's also not known for making good late season runs, so yeah. I would suspect that the revs might do it. Yeah. Why? Because when we did our preview and Will said, I think Southern Maryland's going to make the postseason. I said, they're the Florida Panthers of the Atlantic League. Every year you expect them to be good and then they disappoint you. And then I don't even know what that makes the Revs because they've done this two or three times now. That just means they're like the Cardinals and they have devil magic. That is very true. Yeah. I keep thinking of like that meme with uh, the wrestler coming down with the chair. Just like, who's this? It's the New York Revolution with a chair. Like it's, (laughs) I mean, just out of nowhere. And you know no one was even paying attention. Like, I wasn't even looking at them making the comeback. I was watching the Blue Crabs-Ducks race, and all of a sudden, like, oh, the Revs are close. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, we're chasing the Revs. I mean, it was it, like someone flipped the switch, and here they came. It's such a wild season. It, it makes a ton of sense that this would be exactly the wildness that would happen. But 
I wouldn't have expected these to be the teams that we're talking about. I mean, again, both division leaders were in last place in the first half, which gives us back to that, that uh, talk about the playoff system, but uh, it's the least been entertaining all the way through. And that's what I was nervous about. I was nervous. This would be hard to watch. And I will say this games have been better. Uh, There was a lot of talk about the Atlantic league being just a difficult viewing experience early on. And it was um, for numerous reasons. I think we've talked about, and you've talked about, but Mm -hmm. I think right now, I mean, this is pretty good baseball. So looking at the scores tonight, I mean, Southern Maryland's put up nine, but everyone else is playing close game, normal scoring game. So for the most part, we're looking at some good baseball. we got some entertaining races. So I'm happy. It was a good year to be covering the Atlantic League, I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, uh, and it's a good thing you've been doing that because we, uh, we were covering a couple other leagues more intensely. Hey, I just looked at the Rangers score. They're winning 5-1. That makes me happy. Hey, that's, that, that is not nice. That is not nice, Nick. Yeah, you put up six on us last time, so I'm going to live with this. That is true. Now, anywho. So hockey, sports, sports. I had Hockey, admit. sports. My knowledge outside of baseball is embarrassing. I'll, I'll own that. See, the way you know baseball is the way I know hockey, and for some reason I'm the one with the baseball podcast. It's a bold choice, but I respect it. Yeah, I, I figured no one else was doing this, so what the hell, I might as well try it. And it worked out fairly That's well. That's how I... Uh... Yeah, that's how I, I got ALPV Roundup going, and then I realized that someone was running ALPV News. I was like, ooh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, well, you in the same boat with us? I mean, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that, that's just kind of like the common thing around here. Then, of course, you get the pages that pop up and disappear in under a year, and then yeah. somehow the rest of us yeah. survive. It's like if you get through one year, you're probably going to survive for a good bit. <laughs> But, I like food. Well, hey, I already survived a year. Yeah. It just because I started mine January of 2020 like an idiot. Hey, it was the perfect time. You got it on the ground floor. I'll always remember my first shout out on this podcast was you being like, man, that poor guy. <laughs> He's been covering <laughs> the Atlantic League. Well, they haven't played a game in 13 months. <laughs> hey, we acknowledge talent. We're talent scouts on this show. Look at Will. Look how hard he is now. He's calling the games. I That's did nothing true. for yeah. that. I did nothing to get him to that point, but I'm taking credit for it anyway. You can you can take the credit. I I, I will I I will I will give you a lot of credit for that. I, I'm ta- I'm taking the credit. You know, normally I'm humble. Everyone knows I'm humble. I'm the most humble, but I'm going to take credit on that one. And with that said, I do want to point out Darian Sanford's also closing on the record for stolen bases. He's like under 15 away from that. And I just wanted to point that mm-hmm. out. Because he's oh. again just doing stupid oh, yeah. things, and yeah, I I love Darian Sanford. I think that was such a great addition. Now I'm from the the school of Terrence Gore, so your fun fact is I was on I was working for the Blue Rocks when okay. uh, the single A Blue Rocks when Terrence Gore was there, and like within weeks he was in Double A, and then he was in the majors, so they could get him on the playoff roster, playoff run. Yeah, and that whole year when he was just getting pinch run. I was like, man, I like learned a lot about the value of just having a guy you can plug and play. Um, and, and yeah, he has just been absolutely tearing it up. And it was a great addition, I think, by Lexington to put him in there. Because not only is he fast, but he's hitting 318 since he got to Lexington. So uh, he had a 598 OPS in 82 games with York. He has a 802 OPS for Lexington right now in 25 games. So I don't know what it is, but something is fitting right for him. Maybe seeing better pitches in that lineup, but he is absolutely delivering in this run yeah absolutely and so on that note we've held you for over 90 minutes now so i appreciate your time obviously we're going to give you the time at the end like we do for everyone to to plug everything because obviously you have the uh <clears throat> the article coming out and the video coming out it's going to be very interesting and we're almost certainly going to discuss on this show 
Uh, so I'm going to let you plug stuff now because I'm sure you have uh, other things to do tonight and we don't want to take too much more of your time because if we take any more, we'll be at two hours. I'm flattered. Uh, the things I have to do tonight are watch baseball, but uh, that's unsurprising, I'm sure. But I appreciate that. First, I guess I'll say uh, you can hit up us on Twitter. What are we at? AOPB Roundup at AOPB underscore Roundup on Instagram, AOPB Roundup on YouTube, AOPB Roundup.com. The YouTube and the website are a little underserved right now because I've been kind of taking the time that I usually use on that to work on a couple of longer term projects. So that will at least roll out and uh, once we get off season. But uh, I wanted to just shout out a couple of things, which are just the Atlanta on the home. People have been awesome to me. It's my first full year, like covering everything and the players, the teams have been great. And uh, I just want to thank them. That's been really fun. You guys have been awesome getting to know you and uh, getting to sort of mess with you guys on social media. And now actually be on the pod is a really funny sort of transition here. And uh, yeah, and if nothing else, um, whoever is listening to this, if you have the ability to do so, go sign Josh Sala because he should not be in the Atlantic League anymore. He should be in a major league organization. I'm not going to lie. We do like I've seen this before. Like I forget where I saw this, but I know there's at least one MLB scout that knows of the show. And I think listens I mean, like, regularly. Why not? I mean, there's been guys who show up in uh, the Atlantic League that I know about because you've talked about them in the Frontier League and the American Association. Like, I mean, you're going to either spend an hour doing something useless or you're going to spend an hour doing something useless and listening to the podcast. Like, you might learn something. And you can multitask and do two useless things you, at once. If you're a scout, you need one indie ball guy to hit for you and you look like a genius for years. Oh, yeah. Like, like just roll with it. Like Kubiak looked great in AAA. All of a sudden, like whoever found that guy and decided to make the move finally, which should have happened a long time ago. We all agree. Yeah. But if he ends up making a difference down the line, even for a one month stretch, that's it. You know, that's a bigger difference than almost everybody that ever gets drafted by a team. So, oh, but- I mean, I don't, uh, teams should be tapped into what's going on in all the indie leagues, but especially in my opinion, the Atlantic league. Oh, yeah. Honestly, the guy that I'm amazed last as long as he did, and I understand it was pandemic year, honestly, Peyton Gray. Because Peyton Gray was lights out. And same thing with James Meeker, who we just put up the uh, the thing today for the alumni update. That dude, first off, he was, he hit very well in college and very well in summer ball. And they just never let him have a professional at bat. But if you look at his like actual pro stats, they're amazing. The dude's really, really good. And even when they finally got picked up and put in high A Carolina, he has an ERA of 0.5 in like 20 Yeah, days. I remember. Yeah. I remember that guy. Because I was like trying to like put out feelers for like, I mean, American Association was the only thing to follow last year. And I, yeah. he got my attention because he had like some ridiculous whip. Like I forget what it was, but he like just, no one got on base on the guy. Yeah. He struck out everybody. Yeah, I think he wound up having like 14 base runners the whole year. And he wound up allowing a grand total of two earned runs, if I remember right, for the whole year. Yeah, I just pulled it up here. It looks like zero earned runs yeah. over 32 innings in the American Association in 2020. And then in single A this year, high A, quad city, 1.26 ERA. Struck out 14.8 per nine. <laughs> God, <laughs> that's insane. I told you. Uh, yeah, the two runs. He had a difficult time in double A, but. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, his post, yeah, his his postseason uh, was when he gave up the two runs. One was a solo shot, and another one was like a double. Both in uh, uh, when they get you. Yeah, and the worst part is too the solo shot came with two outs in the ninth. He was so close, oh. 
to getting oh. out of it. Yeah, and then Clint Coulter hit uh, one of the most meaningless solo shots to break up that streak. I was just like, oh. man. And, and I, if I'm right, doesn't Quad City have like a ridiculous offensive environment? I think it does. I don't know. I think it does, man. I, don't, I, I think he did that this year with like, I mean, they led the league in scoring. I know that much. Yeah, I know and he. They, yeah, he wound up with an arm injury. I know. I think it was his elbow. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, it looks like he kind of gave out toward the end. But yeah. boy, I mean, there's some guys just in hiding. Like I said the other day, I think Don Goodson. Why not? If you're a team, why not pull that lottery ticket? Pitchers are lottery tickets. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sure not all of them would love to hear that, but no. like they are. I mean, some guys are going to be that guy. Like we've seen how many pitchers who just make a minor's. Like Lucas Giolito made some changes and he became filthy. Like if you have a guy like Don Goodson throwing ninety eight and ninety nine in indie ball, just pick him up and see what you can do. See if you can get him a second or third good play pitch off that, and then let the guy go chuck baseballs. Yeah, honestly, like to me, it's again to relate back to a thing I know very well in hockey. Pitchers are a lot like goaltenders, where they're just kind of voodoo. You don't really understand mm-hmm. them. There's people that think they understand them and then there's the occasional like whisperer that knows how to get them to like be great but by and large you don't really know what they do or how they do it they just kind of go out there and do it because it does take a lot (laughs) to stand on a mound and then throw a ball as hard as you can at a plate and then hope that the dude that's at the plate doesn't hit it with a wooden bat and have it come back and crush you in the face it takes a lot to be willing to do that. And then just... That is good, my... Yeah. Yeah, that is my eternal appeal like to, of baseball to me, is that anytime a guy hits a baseball, it's a miracle. And every guy, a guy, every time a guy manages to have someone not hit a baseball, it's a miracle. Yeah. I mean, it's unreal. Yeah, it's just... It's something else. It's something else. Yeah. All right, I think... Uh, it's I think, been a pleasure. All right, we just want to thank Ryan for coming on the show again. We appreciate it. Enjoyed having him on. We'll definitely have him back on again in the future. And, uh, yeah, very fun interview. Very fun. Absolutely. And I think we covered literally everything possible about about the Atlantic League uh, and its current state and the playoff races and the rosters. And uh, definitely a lot we covered and with some detours and fun along the way. I, it was it, it was a fun time. Oh, absolutely! Really, I really enjoyed that one, and hopefully, everyone listening enjoyed it as well. Uh, so, with that, we really don't have much else uh, left to go over this week. And at this point, we're probably approaching the two-hour mark. If we're not already over it, so I think everyone's kind of ready to wrap this episode up for the week. Um, so we'll just go right into the plugs and anything to add, and then we'll get out of here. So, uh, if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news or at IndieBallReport. Likewise, you can follow the show wherever you find podcasts by just looking up IndieBallReport. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, 
I guess Apple Podcasts. I don't guess. I know we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio now. We're on Deezer. We're on TuneIn, Stitcher. Like I said, just about anywhere you can find podcasts, we're on it. Google Podcasts as well. Uh, so be sure to rate and review if possible on those platforms. And don't forget to subscribe as well if you want to find the show notes for this episode as well as all the past episodes and just links to episodes outright as well as some articles and whatnot be sure to swing over to indiebarreport.com where all of that stuff is readily available for you and explore the site a little bit and get to see and feel for the site uh with that being said do we have anything else left to add this week uh, the only thing I have left to add this week is the Red Sox ended the Yankees season, and I don't really care what happens after this. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I think we all thank the Red Sox for their service in ending the Yankees season. Absolutely. And as I've said before, it is a character flaw to be a Yankee fan. That being <laughs> said, uh, only thing I got to add this week, we have a new Division One college hockey team, Augustana. In South Dakota, they're going to start playing 2023. It's a nice stadium they're building, and I'm just happy to see more college hockey come about. And that's really all I got for this week. Honestly, it's kind of weird recording these things in two separate halves because we're not even at 20 minutes on the second recording, but I know we're really long in the first one. So uh, with that said, and nothing else left to add, don't forget to play ball.